0: Honestly, I don't remember anything of the last hour of yesterday's show. I know, isn't that odd? I had a terrible migraine, and I sort of remember bits of it, and then suddenly I woke up in, in a, a, a very cold bedroom, sort of feeling all right. So I, I hope I wasn't rude to anyone on air. Wouldn't that have been awful? If I'd gone on some sort of drunken rant on air, would, would have been very listenable, actually. I say awful. It could have been perhaps the best. Look, that could have been Sony Gold. Anyway, good morning. It's Wednesday, it's just gone six o'clock. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up, and as always, would love your opinion on some of these stories, uh, including the mother of Gary McKinnon welcomes the decision not to extradite him to the US. She'll be on this programme after eight o'clock. Why you won't need money or your mobile at car parks in the Three Counties. And the mum of the great British Bake Off winner. It's a TV show, if you didn't know said it was the first thing he'd ever won. I want to celebrate what we're good at in the three counties today. So I want to know, dear listener, what have you won? What have you come first in? What are you the best at? You can get in touch lots of different ways. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk uh, You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR or you can give me a call 08459 455 555
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Now, whatever your thoughts on whether Gary McKenna should have been extradited or shouldn't, and I, I'm still not quite sure how, how I feel on this. Part of me does think, yeah, up yours, America. Yeah, I, I've suddenly got a bit more, bit more patriotic since America said, "Oh, we're we're really disappointed that you've uh, you've not extradited the computer hacker." And I'm thinking, yeah, what we used to own your country, huh? So don't start bossing. We did. We used to own them. And then we let them have it back in 1776 when we got a little bit bored of it. But it is the story that's all over the front pages today. The Hertfordshire mother of British computer hacker Gary McKinnon has welcomed Home Secretary Theresa May's decision to block his extradition to the US. Janice Sharp said she was overwhelmed after an emotional roller coaster, and she said Mrs May had been incredibly brave to stand up to the US. The 46-year-old, who has Asperger's syndrome, admitted uh, accessing Pentagon computers from his bedroom in North London, but he says he was only looking for information on UFOs. Now the Home Secretary has blocked his extradition over concerns about his mental health. This is what Theresa May told the House of Commons.
2: After careful consideration of all of the relevant material, I have concluded that Mr McKinnon's extradition would give rise to such a high risk of him ending his life. (laughs) that a decision to extradite would be incompatible with Mr McKinnon's human rights.
0: Well, it's the first time a Home Secretary has stepped in to block an extradition to America since the current treaty with the United States was brought in after 9-11. Gary's mum, Janice Sharp, said she was overwhelmed by the decision, and she described Gary's reaction to the news.
3: It's still incredibly emotional. He, he, he couldn't speak. He actually literally couldn't speak, and... That then he cried, and, and then he hugged, and he cried, and it's been hugging and crying, and it's so emotional. I know it seems odd that I'm tearful now, but it's, it's a culmination of ten years and seven months, and it's, it's just so emotional, and it'll take time to... Uh, Back down the
0: normal way. As I said, the decision has been welcomed here, not gone down so well in Washington. The US authorities have described Mr. McKinnon's actions as the biggest military computer hack of all time since the film War Games. Prosecutors claim he changed passwords, deleted files, and altered accounts. David Rivkin is an American lawyer and former White House counsel to Presidents Reagan and Bush. He says today's decision is laughable.
4: They
5: were very humane, very just justice system in the United States. If a person is not fit to stand trial, his lawyers and psychiatrists would argue and favor with that. If a person needs a special accommodation, he would get it. Again, under that logic, anybody who claims some kind of physical or mental problem can commit crimes of impunity and get away with it. Did he just
0: say that they have a humane legal system in America. The place will have the death penalty, yeah? Humane. Okay. No, no worries. Uh, To try and prevent cases like this dragging on so long, changes are being made to the extradition system. The Home Secretary says in future British courts will be given more powers to decide whether a suspect should stand trial here or abroad. But the announcement has come too late for Baba Ahmed, who was deported to the US two weeks ago to face terrorism charges. His family have accused the government of double standards. Here's the BBC's legal correspondent, Clive Coleman.
6: At the heart of so many of these high-profile extradition cases has been this question, I'm a UK citizen, I'm accused of a crime that was committed in the UK, why can't I be tried by a UK court? She's introduced now, or is going to introduce, a test whereby... A British court can make a judgment as to whether it's in the interests of justice for someone who's accused should be tried here or should be extradited.
0: So Gary McKinnon and his supporters breathing a sigh of relief. He's not out of the woods yet, though. The Director of Public Prosecutions will now look at the evidence against him to see if he should stand trial here in the UK. If you've got any opinions on this, 08459 four double five five double five. Uh, and Janice Sharp, Gary McKinnon's mum, will be on this show after 8 o'clock. It's, it's a worrying day. It's a worrying day. I agree with the front page of the Daily Mail. But what have I become? I agree with the front page of the Daily Mail. What's happened to me? Should we have a quick look at some of the, the, the front pages of the newspapers? They've just arrived. So let's see... Oh, look, they're all stashed in there. Let's see what we've got. The Daily Telegraph. Letters a threat. Oh, th- this is interesting. This is Dominic Grieve. Letters a threat to Charles as king. Attorney General. I was listening to this on the radio yesterday. Attorney General says publication of Prince's views would undermine his ability to rule. The Prince of Wales' letters to ministers must be kept secret because their contents would seriously damage his future role as king. Were they ever made public? The Attorney General ruled yesterday. Dominic Grieve moved to avert a constitutional crisis by blocking the release of 27 letters containing particularly frank views that could cast doubt on the Prince's political neutrality. This was after it was ruled by three judges. Yes, these letters can be released. Then Dominic Grieve stuck his beak in and said, actually, no, no i've got the final say in this we're not going to release them which i think is a shame really at uh, the times uh, new uh, now gove rewrites the rule on a levels michael gove is planning an overhaul of a levels oh my goodness gracious me and waterlogged in warsaw a frustrated royal exploit. as you may know dear listener i'm not a football fan but i was enjoying the Fuluri on twitter last night Reading about this football match that didn't happen because it was raining, I thought, well, you know, that that happens. Football matches are rained off, and then I discovered the stadium has a roof. That they didn't. Can anyone explain to me in simple terms, please, why they didn't close the roof? Does anyone know? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. The Independent. Uh, they've got a picture of Gary McKinnon there, who we'll be talking about later on, we'll talking to his mum. And Hillsborough's uh, families celebrate breakthrough of new inquest. They've also got Dominic Grieve on the front page as well on the Indie, the Guardian. After ten years, hacker spared. Uh, Dominic Grieve's all over the front pages. He's one of ours, isn't he? Uh, the government bars release of Charles' letters is the front page of the Guardian. It's Grieve everywhere, apart from the Daily Mail. A great day for Gary and British justice. They agree with me, basically, that we've we've stuck two fingers up to the United States of America, and um, good for us. The Daily Express, French invade British waters. Don't worry, they just scallop fishermen. Uh, Daily Mirror, my 32 years with Savile, exclusive by his assistant, Janet Cope, and The Sun. BBC covered up pedo scandal number two, and then they have some pictures of some young women in their pants on the top there. You've got to love that cackle, the JVS cackle. I was complaining yesterday I was a little bit smelly I didn't have any deodorant I bought some deodorant yesterday I can only find women's deodorant So I smell of girls I smell hot Oh, 8459 Sorry, that's a terrible image to put in your head, isn't it? I'll shut up and let Michael Jackson do his thing Okay, we've had a text from Tim Thank you, Tim 81333 Starting your text 3CR As to why they couldn't close the roof Yesterday for the foot match It was too windy to close the roof That's not true, is it? It's a roof! Just close the roof! Uh, I I can imagine, if you were, were all excited about the game last night, I wasn't. I didn't even know it was happening, if I'm honest if you were all excited about the game and were watching it unfold in front of you, could you give me a call and let me know how you feel? 08459 455 555. There'll be people, um, I think the first flight back to Luton from, uh, from Poland gets in about half past seven or something, so we, we may have people listening to the show a bit later on who've landed, or maybe you've got the husband or a boyfriend or a wife or girlfriend who's coming back this morning from Poland. If so, have you spoken to them? Could you give us a call and let us know how? Gutted they were to have missed the game. I'm guessing most of them won't be able to stay out there for another night. Oh wait, 455, four, double five five double five. Here's the weather with Steve.
5: Did they get their money back on the tickets? And there's your weather forecast from me, Steve Weston.
0: Steve, you mentioned the possibility of them getting their money back. I believe that a, a Polish official was very upset when someone suggested that might be the case. But they, you paid for something to happen and it didn't happen. Well, listen, we've we've all been there, Steve. Let's not go into our personal lives. Steve Weston, thank you very much. <laughs> Ah, oh, 08459 double five five double five is the telephone number if you give us a call. I don't know. Will they get their money back? I would be surprised if they did get their tickets back. They won't get the cost of flying out to Poland back, that much is sure. Now, if you've been the victim of crime, then you'll know how much of an impact it can have on your life. But how much of a difference would compensation make? The U- union representing shop workers is calling on the government not to cut its compensation scheme for the victims of crime. Usdor, USDAW, says that its members are often subject to attacks, some of them violent. Today, along with other campaigners, it will tell MPs how important the Criminal Injuries Compensation Scheme is in helping innocent victims come through their ordeal and get back on their feet. Over three years ago, a Luton shopkeeper was murdered But the family of Jashbai Patel, who was otherwise known as Mr Moon Have got the shop up and running again Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been speaking to Jashbai's son, Amit In the shop in Park Street And asked him about the compensation they received Without the money, we'd have sunk,
7: basically And as we can see, we're in the shop It's thriving, people are coming in all the time And so, as you're saying, without that money The business would have collapsed Yeah we wouldn't be able to survive, basically. What difference did the compensation make to you and your family? It gave us a base to start from again. That's what it did. It it helped us build the business back up so that mum had an income because me and my sister are, are, are of age to earn ourselves. So basically whatever we received as children was it was fine incidental to what your mum received to help with the shot yeah mum's was enough to pay for the refurb basically and put in proper security and a proper shot yeah fire alarm alarm Mm. alarm system connected to the police Mm. if that weren't to be the case in the future what would you say Um, basically mum (laughs) would have to live with me and she'd have nothing because dad was the main breadwinner in the house, so you're thankful for the compensation that you got. Um, and if it was all taken away, no, they shouldn't take it away. If anything, they should improve it, not take it away. But it does it does depend on each circumstance. Each circumstance is different. Nothing is the same. See, if we were if, if we were rich, as it were, and my dad had passed, then the compensation wouldn't have made any difference.
0: But because we didn't have anything, that compensation made all the difference. Uh, Tony Fisher, our reporter there, speaking to Amit Patel. Um, give us a call, let us know what you think about that 08459 four double five five double five. I should just say, um, and in case you're unaware of this, between three and seven weekdays on BBC Three Counties Radio is the excellent Roberto Peroni. There's a lot of rolling of his R's. I've been listening to a lot of Roberto recently. A lot of rolling of his R's. Oh, that sounded rude, didn't it? I didn't mean it to, but there you go. I I can't do it properly. Uh, He has the best stories from across the three counties from amazing local people. um, And he has a a roundtable discussion from six tonight. Family and lifestyle. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from 3pm on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Uh, one thing, I-, I would really like someone to call me up and, and explain um, th- 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 this football situation um, about the roof of the, the stadium. It, it can't be. Because it was too windy. Could it? That's the reason they didn't close it. Were you what? Apparently, Adrian Childs, who is, I think, one of the most hated men in Britain. Apparently. I've always quite liked him. I met him a couple of times. He's very pleasant to me. Very pleasant. I met him and David Cameron once. Uh, on The One Show, David Cameron was a little bit rude. Adrian Charles, very, very pleasant to me. I don't quite know why he's so uh, so disliked. But apparently he was hilarious last night with his non-commentary uh, uh, an assessment of the situation. If you saw it, could you give me a call and let me know? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five, And I would love, love, love to talk to you if you've got uh, a friend, a relative, a loved one who went to Poland to see the match last night... And they didn't, and they're coming back today. Have you spoken to them? I bet they were furious, weren't they? I bet they were furious. Could you give us a call? Call
1: 08459 455 555.
6: 08459 455 555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio. Unopposed, you
0: say? Hmm, that sounds like a challenge to me. Coming up in the next half hour of the show, why didn't England's game against Poland go ahead? Surely could have just put the roof on, or am I being stupid? And BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey, who it turns out is the most competitive man in the world we discovered in the office today, uh, is visiting the Luton Project that's appearing on tonight's national lottery show. They're going to need your fu- your votes. Um, 08459 four double five five double five Now, Two football matches last night, of course. There was uh, the adults and there was the kids. The under-21s. Uh, and, and that was kind of marred, the under-21s. The Football Association has officially complained to the sport's European governing body, UEFA, about racist abuse directed at England under-21 players in Serbia last night. England won the match in kruševac to qualify for next summer's European Championship. But there was a, pra- a brawl on the pitch involving both sides. The England coach, Stuart Pearce, said he was very proud of the way his players dealt with the situation. The senior team's World Cup qualifier in Warsaw was rained off. Polish authorities had decided not to close the roof on the stadium. The match has been rescheduled for this afternoon. What on earth is going on? We can speak now to uh, Gavin Lee. Morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. What What a mess for football. Yeah, and starting with the
8: the under 21s game, mm. it all seemed to be going okay. There was was a moment just after half time where it looked pretty ugly because lots of the Serbian crowd started to throw coins, other missiles, chairs, including at Stuart Pearce as well. Had a chair thrown at him. A chair thrown at him. Yeah, I mean it, it was it. You know, it wasn't you know, bordering on. Um, racism at that time And racism in incidents and It what was just
0: ha- violent thuggery At that it time It was just right?
8: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Old fashioned thuggery and, and then what happened later on As England scored the winning goal And it ended, ended 1-0 I've seen some of this footage since One of the football commentators Described it as Hell breaking loose And I think that's pretty accurate Because wow. there's a pitch invasion By the fans One of the England players Danny Rose Who's black Was actually sent off After the final whistle This brawl happened between the players He's since said there were racist chants coming from the Serbian fans They were monkey chanting at him He did a little, as he walked off He kind of did a monkey sign to imply that he was being shouted at, didn't he? Yeah, and and there's there's an issue that the FA have With the fact that a lot of players seem to be extremely violent From the Serbian side as well And there was one sending off Uh, The England team, all of them, looked pretty shocked uh, With what happened, including Stuart Pearce And the technical director of the Serbian side About ten minutes after things calmed down a little bit went to the England dressing room, he apologised for any unsavoury behaviour that had taken place but I don't think that's going to cover it.
0: Um, What's going to happen next? Do we we boot Serbia out? Surely they should get, like, a. a, I saw someone on Twitter say, give them a 10-year ban.
8: I've seen all sorts of, um, some of the players actually on Twitter saying that they should be banned from tournament football. um, The former England player, Stuart Paul Ince, was there. Uh, He was watching Tom Ince, the Blackpool player, uh, playing. He said he was really fearing for the safety of his son and himself in the crowd as well. He said they should be banned from tournament football. Uh, The FA have made a very stern complaint to UEFA about it, saying condemn. The, the racism and the confrontation at the final whistle, which it says uh, our players and staff were under extreme provocation I guess it's in the hands of UEFA, we expect probably around lunchtime this, uh, or early this afternoon to have a, a statement There's a history uh, of this before in Serbia isn't there, they've, they've, got, they've got previous Yeah, going back five years, uh, bad blood with uh, a match in Amsterdam the Serbian uh, under-21s again the Football Federation being fined £16,000 at the time because supporters racially abused another England player yeah, so, so I think because the reason Players and the reason former players want a much harsher penalty is the, the lack of control Serbia
0: have had over its fans. Boot them out, it seems obvious. Listen, you could, you, you, once, okay, maybe, you know, I mean, it's still unacceptable, but give them a chance. If they got previous, just boot them out of the tournament. We don't want that kind of nonsense going. We've, we've moved on from that, haven't we? Well, you know, and the thing is, this year we've seen all of those
8: images from Panorama of the Poland, the Ukrainian racist fans. Yep. I think there was a lot said, certainly in, in the Eastern Bloc countries, about how they are dealing with the, the problem. Serbia domestically have all, had all sorts of problems over the years with with similar sorts of um, racist chanting, and, and every time you know a black player uh, comes to play for any of the domestic sides, there have been issues. I was looking back into sort of Serbian football, and it goes back sort of decades. Oh. So this is something that I think will take a
0: long time to clean up. Serbia, Spain, all the others, go and have your own little racist tournament. We don't, we're not interested. It, it, speaking of Poland, there was there, there was disappointment, wasn't there, last night for the hundred of hundreds of England fans who turned up to see the grown ups play. Yeah, a couple of things here that strike me as slightly odd. Firstly,
8: it. it officially we're told by the Polish FA that it's in their hands, as we know, to whether or not to cover this um, stadium. It was raining. Now, the Polish FA have said they didn't know how heavy it was going to rain, so it was the wrong rain it turned out in the end. It rained very hard, it got very wet. The referee, you've probably seen the picture, Ian, but he comes out on the pitch just before the match, realises the ball's not going to go very far, the players might end up with trench foot if they finish the game like this, (laughs) and calls it off. So it was a canvas roof. We're told that even when it started to get heavy, they only had till about half past six because once the 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 fans came in you can't for legal reasons put a canvas roof on in the stadium if it's rainy or if it's windy right Uh, so and one other point about that because the fact is it's been delayed and we played at four o'clock today instead there's been a lot of complaints to the bbc late last night about ryanair uh, putting its prices up for travel from warsaw to the uk today it's being alleged that they're basically profiteering from the fans being stuck but ryanair isn't commenting yet this morning
0: so, hang on, so the, the, the price,
8: they're putting the, the ticket price up. Well, the price suddenly went up quite rapidly last night as uh, wow. fans obviously were looking to, to book their flights a day later instead. And, wow. and obviously, their allegation is that all of a sudden Ryanair have cottoned onto this and are, are gaining from a captive market.
0: Ryanair profiteering Gavin Lee, I will not hear a word of that nonsense. Gavin, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> bye bye. There we go. Gavin Lee explaining what was going on. So, they couldn't put the roof on because there were fans in the stadium. <laughs> Oh man, what a mess. I'm in the Daily Mirror today, I can't believe it. I'm in the Daily Mirror, it's me. I'm in a newspaper. Um, it's not in any way linked with the Savile scandal, let me just clear that up now. Page 25, if you're interested, me in the Daily Mirror. Come dine with me again and
9: again and again.
0: Fury. Channel 4 serves up 126 shows in a month. Fury. Basically, they're repeating all all the episodes of Come Dine With Me. And uh, a TV source, who's named as a TV source, says there is overkill. This is proof Channel 4 is creatively bankrupt. They do show the same episodes over and over again. I did Come dine With Me a couple of years ago. Uh, The programme has been sold to 35 stations around the world. There have been celebrity versions with stars. Stars... Yes, including Debbie McGee, Ian Lee, that's me Lembert Opik, who was irritating And Jodie Marsh, who was bonkers but delightful I look really chubby there That was in Jodie Marsh's house It's interesting that it's come up actually Because one of the things we want to talk about today Is things that you have won Things that you have won I, I, I'm good at, if, if you're a fan of The Great British Bake Off And you taped it And you haven't seen it yet Go make yourself a cup of tea, because I'm going to reveal who won last night. If you skyplaced it, or you videoed it... Yeah, because it's 1989. I set my timer on my Betamax. No, I'm going to reveal who won it in a second. I want to know, basically, what have you won? I did not win, come dine with me. I came... last. I did, I came last. And the reason I came last is because I gave... Initially, I gave Lembit Opik, the former MP and current irritant, um... Uh, I gave he, uh, him a really low score of three, and I thought, well, that's going to look a bit harsh. And I said to the producers, I said, can I film that again? I want to give him a higher score. And in me giving him a higher score, d- despite the fact he was a Muppet, uh, it, it meant that I came last. Uh, but uh, w- w- what have you won? The winner, here it comes, dear listeners, switch off now, the winner of uh, The Great British Bake Off last night, a programme I've only seen one episode of, and I don't get. It's Cooking Intent with Mel and Sue. And I love Mel and Sue. I love, I love uh, um, Mel in particular. I think she's excellent. But it's cooking intense, isn't it? Uh, it's intense cooking. Intense. Uh, the winner was John, the, the, the guy with the foppish hair. Not the fellow with the glasses. I thought the lad with the glasses would win. Not the bald old man. He, he never stood a chance. I thought the fellow with the glasses, it was John. And his mum uh, has said he never won anything before. This was the first thing he won. So we thought that we'd open it up a little bit and ask you, dear listener, what have you won? What, what are you best at? Actually, i won a few things i remember remembered now. Uh, I won a bonnie baby competition in 1974 at Butlins. Yeah, I know, and my mum still goes on about it. 38 years later, she still bangs on about it. I've also won... Actually, there's quite an impressive list of things I've won. I've won, um, Mastermind. Yes, I won Mastermind. Yes, I beat a Nolan. I beat Idea Thief Scott Mills. And I beat the bloke that wrote Cracker. Yeah, I won. won. I've also won The Weakest Link. There was a little bit of cheating going on in that. Let's not go into too much, but I, I beat Jim Bowen in the final of The Weakest Link. I also won, um... What's the one that Ainsley used to do? Um, Ready, steady, cook. I won that. I won that. Oh, dear. I have no idea how I won it. I didn't win. Come dine with me. Uh, But what have you won, dear listener? But phone up. Today is your day to boast and be proud, even if it's absolute tosh, even if it happened 30 years ago, even if everyone else thinks it's a bit silly. I won't. I want you to call up today, 08459 455 555, and show off, be proud, beat your chest, and tell me the things you've won. For a second there, I forgot the phone number of the station. I had to check with the production team. It's 08459... Four double five, five double five. Oh, Ray Davis, we'll have some of this. I and mean, that's a cracking version. That's Ray Davis in the Urban Voices collection. But wh- why do you, Ray, why do you keep being a revisit, revisionist and rewriting history? Uh, I interviewed Ray Davis once and it, it was it was as hard work as I expected. He's famously quite a grumpy man and it was the interview, it, it wasn't going very well. And then I said to him, oh, I used to live in Muswell Hill, which of course is where the kinks are famous from. Oh, I used to live in Muswell Hill. As soon as I said that, Boom. He was on side. We were chatting about curry houses and uh, the best bars and pubs to go into. As soon as we said that, the interview was fantastic and he would talk about absolutely anything. Now, a Luton-based project needs your votes. The Community Space Challenge will be shown on tonight's National Lottery Show as the nation chooses its favourite National Lottery good causes. It's in the final of the National Lottery Awards 2012 for Best Environment Project. Um, Paul Pearce is the National Projects Manager for the Community Space Challenge. There's a mouthful of a title. Paul, good morning.
9: Morning. Uh, good morning. It
0: would be great if you win the award, but I'm guessing it's kind of an achievement to get to this stage. It's, it's given you prominence,
9: isn't it? It's great, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good recognition of, of all, the, all the work that young people have put in around the country, um, So, yeah, it's great. We're really
0: excited. Can can you sum up very quickly what is the um, Community Space Challenge?
9: Yeah, okay. So, uh, Community Space Challenge, or CSE. Um It's a national. It's a national program. It's managed by Catch22, and it works in 70 projects around the country with young people, um, and, and, and it gets young people out improving their local community spaces. So they might be going out doing litter picks. They might be uh, removing graffiti. They might be creating new community gardens, allotments. Um, taking over empty shops and renovating them, uh, you know, holding holding community events, basically anything that gets young people out improving the communities in, in which they live. And where where are these young people kind of from? What backgrounds are they from? They're usually from pretty troubled backgrounds. So, um, you know, they might be referred by school, they might be referred by social workers or, or by the police. Um, so it, it, um, it's partly to kind of, it's partly young people who, who are at risk of being in trouble, really, mm. that we work with.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you've already had a bit of lottery funding, haven't you? How much have you had?
9: We have. Well, the program has been running for the last five years, so we've had uh, we've had about eight, eight million pounds. Wow. Uh, yeah, but you know, spread across seventy projects around the country. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah, but if
0: it goes well for you tonight, what, what what are you in line for?
9: Um. Yeah. Well, we're in in line for. For being recognised as the best environment project uh, in the country, really. I'm talking,
0: um, I'm talking the, the the greenbacks, I'm Paul. How much money could you get? Ah, Come okay, on, yeah, let's, the, let's uh, speak numbers. Yeah, <laughs>
9: <laughs> yeah the important <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if we win, it would be an extra two thousand pounds, um, which we would use to to hold a big party for all our projects and and, and and to thank all the young people who've who've contributed. Around sort of, tw- I think we've had about twelve and a half thousand young people that have got involved over the last five years. So. Um, yeah, we probably won't get them all together, but we'll get some of them together to say thank
0: you. Paul, listen, best of luck, Paul Pierce, National Projects Manager for the Community Space Change. We can go now to our reporter, Justin Dealey uh, is with Joan Bailey from the Safer Luton Partnership at Lucy uh, Community Gardening Project. Morning, Justin. Ian, I'm
10: outraged. Right? Absolutely What's outraged. Wrong? It's um, it's chucking it down with rain. <laughs> it's freezing cold, <laughs> and I'm stuck on an allotment in Luton. <laughs> oh, Justin, I'm so sorry because this studio is so warm. Yes. Can yes, I have another I'm cup sure of tea, it's... please? <laughs> thank you. Away you go, Justin. Oh, you're so nice. You're so nice. As you i just said, I'm with Joan Bailey. Here uh, live in Luton. That the partnership here secured funding through the Community Space Challenge to deliver a five year project within the community of Luton. Joan, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us so early this morning. So, uh, this allotment here, um, take us back because a few years ago th- this was just long grass. Um, tell us how you've transformed this plot of land here
11: good morning. So absolutely, one of the key aims of the CSC project is to transform spaces. Five years ago this was an allotment site that was sitting here it wasn't being used. The grass was about four foot high and I went down to the council and negotiated the use of this allotment site for the young people to run what was our five year um, project. So the first thing of course was the young people came on site and we cut the grass and then we drew up plans about what we wanted to do here. So over the last five years we've done a number of things. Um, in the first years, the early years, young people learned how to plant seeds how to grow um, vegetables how to um, make flower gardens um, tubs um, we actually built a few um, wooden tubs as well and once they learned some of those skills um, and how to harvest um, vegetables we then started to look at doing much De- more detailed work. So, when they grew their vegetables and we harvested them, we then had cook and eat sessions. Mm-hmm. So, they learnt to cook vegetables and learnt to understand how to make healthy meals. And in the latter part of the five years, what we've done is thinking about sustainability. We've um, linked up with lots of the local community and voluntary sector organisations and some of the businesses so that we can continue to sustain this project. So, as Paul says, if we get some money to continue, fantastic. But we have actually, um, in the last 12 months, started to look at long-term sustainability for this area because we don't want to go back to the way it was five years ago. So we've brought on board lots of people in the local area.
10: Before we talk about what you've won, uh, one of our talking points this morning, just lastly on this, uh, some people will say, well, wh- well, how can you get young children involved here? Uh, why is it a teenager g- going to want to grow vegetables on an allotment? You would say, well, hang on a second, You know, give them some credit, because uh, th- this is what they want to do.
11: The SLP doesn't just run this project. It runs lots of different projects. And you heard Paul earlier talk about that we work with lots of young people who have very troubled backgrounds. So all of our projects take a holistic approach. They're about developing personal skills, social skills, helping them to do educational work get back into mainstream school. This project is one of a number that we do that gives them all different kinds of things they can do to actually address some of those issues. So not all of our young people will come to the allotment, but those who want to do things outdoors, those that want to do things that are different, um, this is one of the projects that will give them that opportunity. But of course, they might choose to do other things, but mm. this has been really successful. Lots of our young people just love being out
10: here. Well, best of luck. Hopefully you'll get that lottery funding for your sake. Any uh, you're talking this morning about things that you've won.
0: Well, listen, we threw this question to you when you were in the office earlier on, and we mm. went, Justin, do you, do you ever win? She went, oh, yeah, what do yeah, you want? I've won yeah. loads of
10: stuff. <laughs> you're very competitive, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah, D- despite losing my driving challenge last week. Yeah, Wednesday, so I can you. see that, that rankles Why did I bring sir. that up? But, sir, uh, Joan's with us. Sir, uh, Joan, you haven't won anything specifically sport-wise, but you've won lots of things in the raffle. Um, tell us your number one raffle prize.
11: Um, I think I've won a lot of bottles of drink, but I, ha- yeah. I won a picture years and years ago, and it was a picture... Um, um, that was, um, painted by a local painter it was in Dunstable, but he mm. was also the guy who did the picture that was um, sold at charity um, that uh, had Tiger Woods on. So I'm hoping that one day this picture I've got is mm. worth some money. Oh,
10: you'll yeah, <laughs> be nice. staying in contact then, <laughs> yeah. eh? You can buy me a drink if you sell that for a lot of money. <laughs> Hopefully I will. Hey, Justin,
0: Justin, what have you won? Come on, let's let's rattle um, through the list of things
10: that Justin Deely has won. I, I won a Spam DJ of the Year award. <laughs> what, what,
0: Spam is in the process meat?
10: <laughs> yes, uh, if you mention Spam, you've got an award, so I thought I'd mention Spam. <laughs> I got an award for that. Okay. Okay, well done. Um, what else have I... I've won awards for for all sorts of um, bizarre <laughs> things in my time. <laughs> probably so
0: modest. Worst haircut can of we, the year, Can probably? we just say,
10: Justin, there was a yeah. rumour going around the office that you...
0: Cheated in a um, pancake-tossing th- competition or something? Yes, what what yes. was this, please?
10: Um, yeah, th- this was a pancake race in Luton many, many years ago, and we had um, at one of our rival radio stations in this race the well. Losers. Yes, the, the losers. But um, they were winning, yeah. and I managed to catch up with him, and he was about to go over the line, so I nudged yeah. him over. He's gone flying, Justin and, of course, Daly. we have won the race. Just th- Despite being disqualified, we were still... Okay.
0: First thing, I, th- I think that Savile will be knocked off of the front page <laughs> of the Daily Mail tomorrow, and Justin Dealey pushing someone from a rival station win yes, the pancake race—quite possible. Take it, Justin. Lovely to talk to you. Take care, Thank you mate. Ah, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Here until nine o'clock. You can get in touch on any of the stories. Uh, That we're talking about Or any of the stories that you think we should be talking about That maybe we've not covered I'll give out the phone number and the emails and bits and pieces in a a few seconds So don't get a pen and paper and write it down Coming up in the next hour of the show Mother of Gary McKinnon Welcomes decision not to extradite him to the US She'll be on this programme just after 8 The ex-girlfriend of Justin Lee Collins Who's from Purton Joins me in the studio She was subjected to emotional and domestic abuse By the TV presenter And the mum of the great British Bake Off Says the competition was the first thing he'd won We're asking you this morning, dear listener What have you won? What have you come first in? If you want to get in touch You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, and this is the best way, this is the the way I'd rather communicate with you, you can phone 08459 455 555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Nick says, uh, Nick has texted in, Nick is furious. Nick is furious. It's not good to be so angry first thing in the morning, trust me. It just shows that the so called producers. He's talking about the Great British Bake Off, I think. It just shows that the so called producers of TV shows have no imagination if they keep putting rubbish on, like them cookery shows and trash like Big Brother, The X Factor, etc. So glad I don't have a telly. You don't have a telly, Nick. That's a a, a bold moment. But yes, a lot of producers in TV don't have any imagination. And they do go, hang on, what's, what's successful at the moment? Okay, right, let's do it with Jimmy Carr. Uh, and they do. they do They're not Jimmy Carr so much these days. It's Jack um, Jack Whitehall. Is that his name? The young lad, and um, it's those kind of bits, is, isn't it? Let's let's make that program with Jack Whitehall. Um, I, I, I must admit, I do have a soft spot for Big Brother. It's rubbish. I mean, it, it is absolute rubbish, but I do quite like it. Now, as you probably heard uh, a lot of yesterday, and it's in all the papers this morning, the Hertfordshire mother of British computer hacker Gary McKinnon has welcomed Home Secretary Theresa May's decision to block his extradition to the US. Janice Sharp said she was overwhelmed after an emotional roller coaster, and she said Mrs. May had been incredibly brave to stand up to the US. The 46-year-old, who has Asperger's syndrome, admitted access- accessing Pentagon computers from his bedroom in North London, but he says he was only looking for information on UFOs. Well, now the Home Secretary has blocked his extradition over concerns about his mental health. This is what Theresa May told the House of Commons.
2: After careful consideration of all of the relevant material, I have concluded that Mr McKinnon's extradition would give rise to such a high risk of him ending his life (laughs) that a decision to extradite would be incompatible with Mr McKinnon's human rights.
0: It's the first time a Home Secretary has stepped in to block an extradition to America since the current treaty with the US was brought in after 9-11. Gary's mum, Janice Sharp, said she was overwhelmed by the decision and she'll be on the show just after 8. Alex Massey writes for the political magazine The Spectator and joins me on the line now. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. What do you make of uh, Theresa May's decision?
4: Uh, well, uh, two things to be said. In the first place, if um, Mr. McKinnon's um, uh, health really is so, so in such a poor state, if it's, uh, mental, well, you know, if, if, if he really is a, a, a genuine suicide danger, then uh, Theresa may probably made the made a correct decision. Um, however, it, it, if one can put his uh, health. To one side. Um, uh what we see is that the legal case for extraditing McKinnon to the United States was entirely compelling and that's consistent with uh, the rulings sort of judge after judge after judge after judge uh, and so while one wouldn't want to wish his mental, uh, his mental distress upon anyone mm. uh, it remains the case uh, and, one, and one hopes that he recovers from it it remains the case that absent that uh, I think he would be extradited and I think that that would be the entirely the correct decision uh, I think because I think there are uh, a huge number of misconceptions that have uh, coloured the public judgment and indeed uh, the judgment of many members of Parliament in this case, and that that's deeply unfortunate.
0: The argument was that he was a suicide threat, wasn't it? And, but surely mm-hmm. anyone could say, whoa, well, hey, you know, don't, don't extradite me, I'm going to kill myself if you do that, I promise I'll do it, honest.
4: Um well of course that's uh, that, that is theoretically possible i mean i, I think in practice um it's probably unlikely that um uh People who who face extradition to the United States or in any other country uh, would be able to use this as a as a tactic. I think because the bar uh, to to clear to satisfy that sort of mm. level uh, will it, it is quite high. I mean, there are a number of different psychiatrists uh, who have to agree um, on these things. Uh, but uh, you know, the the McKinnon defence that he was some sort of innocent chap just sort of pottering around on the internet looking for evidence about UFOs is is not actually the case um you know his his actions were politically motivated and his reason for opposing extradition uh years ago was that he felt he wouldn't be able to get a fair trial in the united states because of his political opinions uh you know it was McKinnon who left messages on on army computers in the united states which is part of being American, our ally um, defense infrastructure, incidentally. I mean, it's not just uh, messing around online. You know, it, it was him who who left messages saying, you know, US. U.S. foreign policy is akin to government-sponsored terrorism these days. It was not a mistake. There was a huge uh, security standout on, on September 11th last year. Uh, I will continue to disrupt at the highest levels and so on and mm. so on. Um, you, you know, now, judge after judge, uh, um, found that there was absolutely no evidence and no reason to suppose that he would suffer any sort of undue, undue prejudice in the United States court, either that uh, his claims... that he couldn't receive a fair trial in the United States and therefore should be tried in the United Kingdom uh, were utterly baseless. And I see no reason to suppose that's an incorrect verdict.
0: Alex, listen, I'm not particularly patriotic or or, or, or proud to be British or any of that, but I, I do kind of feel a certain sense of pride that we've stuck two fingers up to the US.
4: Um, well, I think that's that's the sort of uh, I think there's a lot of people who do feel that way um, because again, I think there is a myth that uh, the extradition treaty between the U.S. and the U.K. is is the so-called unbalanced. And again, there is no actual evidence mm. to suppose that that is the case. Um, it um, the for extraditions from the United States, um, the U.K. has to show um, probable cause, um, which is the standard definition uh, for. The, uh, arrest warrant in the United States. Alex, stay
0: there. Uh, We've got to uh, we go to Martin Howe. Stay there, Alex. Uh, Martin Howe is a human rights lawyer and he's written about the McKinnon case. Morning, Martin. Morning. How are you feeling today about the result? Uh,
12: I, I think it's the right result. I think it's a compassionate and fair result. I, I, I don't think it's a result that sticks two fingers up to the United States. Right. It, it's a it's a case that recognises the rule of law. I mean, there, there's a, a previous Lord Chancellor that said, "Be thou ever so high, the law is above you." And and Theresa May has looked at this case in the light of what is detailed and extensive medical evidence, and has decided that this man's right to life, which is is is, in, is encompassed and and protected by the Human Rights Act. Um, is such that it trumps whatever is going on here with the United States. That is the issue that this case has been decided upon. And, um, and your other speaker is right, saying that you know, if he really is in such poor health and is a genuine suicide risk, then this extradition should be stopped. And it has been upon those
0: grounds. I can't remember which one it was, because there have been so many Home Secretaries who've, who've dealt with this, but but one of them said previously... I can't change the extradition ruling on this b- through just because of health reasons. What may... Theresa may disagree with that. Well,
12: she has to be satisfied that the threshold uh, has been passed, and it depends on the quality and nature of the evidence. Now, we, we, we haven't... You now, your listeners, your other speaker myself, we haven't seen the actual medical reports that have been obtained by the government's medical experts, along with... Uh, Gary McKinnon's medical experts but it, it, it's on that and it's, it's on that alone that this decision has been made now what it does do though, it does throw a spotlight on the extradition treaty with, with the United States mm. in existence since 2003 and you, you'll have seen that perhaps even more important than the, than the specific decision here um, Theresa May has said that she is now going to um, invoke the, the forum principle, so you know, if if, if a, a UK citizen is accused of of carrying out a criminal offence that bites in the United States, but all or some of it has been essentially committed here, and, and in this case we have Gary McKinnon sitting in his girlfriend's bedroom in Wood Green, um, going you know going into into computers, so you can say that the action is actually carried out here. Mm. If if the action well, is carried out here, then you know the, the courts here are competent... And well, ought to hear it. And also, if the United States wants to, to rip a UK citizen out of his family, his support, his legal team, everything that we, we hold dear, to drag them over to the United States well, to face a trial, then they ought to be able to establish a case here on a prima facie basis.
0: Martin, very quick, because we are running out of time. The, the timing on this is fascinating. and I've heard this argument a few times. Uh, on Twitter, Dr. Liam Massavi, a sociology lecturer, has tweeted, call me s- sceptical, but I've got a feeling that if Gary McKinney and was a non-white Muslim, he'd be on the first plane to a US supermax jail. And there was the fellow that was extradited, whose name escapes me, uh, three weeks ago, who um, d- posted terrorist uh, materials online and was extradited to the US, yet he committed his crime in this country. He had Asperger's as well. It, it seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? Well, uh, you
12: know, on first blush it does look unfair. But uh, but let's remember, we, we'd have to see the specific medical evidence. And, we, and and I do celebrate the change in the law that's about to happen. It's about to redress an imbalance that has gone wrong over the last 10 years.
0: Okay, Martin, thank you very much. Alex, you've got 30 seconds. Anything you'd like to say?
4: Uh, well, I would just say that I think that the uh, again the case for trying um, McKinnon in the United Kingdom is very much weaker than the case for trying him in the United States. Mm. Uh, you know, the damage that he did was in the United States. The fact that he was sitting in the, uh, in, in his room in London uh, doesn't impact the fact that he was uh, he was attacking essentially what is essentially our closest military ally. And I think that he while uh, unfortunate to be so ill, um, he is fortunate not to have been extradited.
0: Alex Massey for the uh, political writer for The Spectator. And the other voice you heard there was Martin Rowe, a human rights lawyer. The union representing shop workers is calling on the government not to cut its compensation scheme for the victims of crime. Azdor says that its members are often subject to attacks, some of them violent. Today, along with other campaigners, it will tell MPs how important the Criminal Injuries Compensation Scheme is in helping people come through their ordeal and get back on their feet. But has the compensation culture gone too far? Jenny Bristow is one of the authors of The Social Cost of Litigation. Morning, Jenny. Good morning. Your report was based around health and education.
2: That's right, yes.
0: And what exactly did you find?
2: What we found was, um, looking at the impact of litigation culture on um, education and and healthcare in the public sector, was that... um the increased awareness of the problem of litigation led to a situation where um, professionals are increasingly having to adopt practices that seem to be more about covering their back in Mm. the face of litigation claims than about acting on their professional instincts and doing what their patients or pupils require. Um, So while there has been a lot of um, attention paid to the financial cost of litigation, which is considerable, Mm. particularly in in relation to health, um, we were mainly concerned with the, the social cost of it, which is that then everybody ends up getting a service that isn't what you want because people are worried about covering their backs.
0: What kind of litigation examples have you got from education? What, what sort of things?
2: Well, for example, the heightened concern about school trips right. um, is a really good one, where there's a, a, a kind of a worry that if something goes wrong on a school trip, um, a, a pu- well somebody acting on behalf of a pupil or a parent might sue. And actually the cases in which that, that, that happens are reasonably rare, but you can kind of see and any parent will be aware of this um you can see that the kind of consciousness of it um is, is very high so what then happens is that you know you end up with stories about um school trips, so-called, being organised in the school playground, rather than at the beach, where they were originally intended, because mm. it's, it, it's safer. Um, and, you know, paperwork going out of control, and and it really, uh, it makes it a very um, difficult and unpleasant experience for teachers, I think, who are very burdened then with this kind of fear that, what if, what if, what if?
0: It's kind of an American thing, I get the impression. So I remember sort of about 15 years ago, people first seeing those adverts, you know, those ambulance chaser adverts, on no win, no fee, we, you know, we won't you unless if you had an accident at work, then give us a call. Is, is is that right? Is that kind of when it started over here?
2: Um, yes, I mean I think like like, like many cultural trends, it it, uh, it has come over if you like from America. But I think there are some differences as well, which is um, where our. Um, Uh, are looking at the health and education was kind of important, because Mm. if you look at, for example, the NHS, um, I think this is, you know, it's very worrying that the NHS is a a public service, you know, the taxpayer pays for it, so Mm. therefore, when the NHS gets sued, actually we're all suing ourselves, in effect, and unlike a company that can go bankrupt if the cost of litigation is too high, and there's lots of quite good novels written about this kind of thing, Mm. um, with with, uh, public services, basically the taxpayers' pockets are as deep as the Chancellor wants them to be, you keep on paying and so I think that's the um, that's kind of one of the differences Very quickly
0: Jenny, because we're running out of time, I uh, I find this fascinating do you think that the government can actually do anything to shift the tide of compensation culture because if, listen, if my nana dies in a hospital and and she didn't need to die, I'm going to sue aren't I?
2: Well, yes, and and anyone has every sympathy with individuals um, in that situation. It's quite a difficult one, mm-hmm. and there, there have been attempts by officials to look into these problems and to to think of alternative um, ways of doing things. The only thing I would say is that I think as a society we have to get to grips with the idea that this is a, a, a cultural problem. It's not something that you can just fix with a change in legislation. Um, you mentioned claims, yeah, you know, sort of ambulance chasers, claims management companies earlier. Um, um, yeah, There's a lot of um, anger about solicitors as well and, mm. and greedy lawyers. And I think whilst you know, th- these things are problematic, I think there's a tendency to get too hung up on that and not look at the kind of really actually quite difficult cultural issues about why it is that we have this kind of culture of um, feeling that we should, uh, should sue. To
0: Jenny, listen, we have to move on. Thank you very much. Jenny Bristow, one of the authors of The Social Cost of Litigation. I, sorry, I could have spoken for the rest of the show today. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. But we have to move on. Time waits for no man. Now this is a great, this is a great story, isn't it? New car park charging technology has been rolled out across the three counties. How frustrating is it when you're in a car park and you haven't got change? You want to stay for an hour and and the hour is 80 pence, you've only got a pound. I know know you're only losing 20 pence, but that, that annoys me. Well, there's no need for money or mobile phones. You drive in... A photo of, uh, of your car is taken And the charges are then debited Automatically from your, uh, your account Convenient or Is it another way to monitor our movements Well our Victoria uh, Reporter Victoria Cook went to Welling Garden City To try out the new Swish Park technology
13: Okay I'm here at the Osborne Way Car Park, this is the car park for the station It says here Hunter's Bridge Car Park, this car park is managed Using automatic number plate recognition Cameras Okay, let's go in. Well, it says this car park has no barriers and requires no ticket. Just remember vehicle registration and pay at the pay machine before returning to car. Right, it's time for me to pay now. So it's coming up to 10 to 3. I will try and find the picture of my car. Start. It says enter the last three characters of your car number plate. So... That is H H Z Okay And there is a picture of the BBC car entering the car park So I shall press the picture of the car One fifty, confirm And I will be paying with my bank card Confirm And that's it complete
8: Okay,
6: that's the one. Three pound
0: fifty.
13: So how do you find this system? As long as we can remember our yeah. registration, it's, all it's, right. it's
6: okay. Actually, it's just better than getting the ticket and then losing it or sticking. It in. Yeah, I like it.
13: How do you feel about the um, the car park having a picture of your car and, and sort of? having that information
6: about you on on their systems. Yeah, I've got no
0: issue with that, really. Well, what do you think? Are traffic cameras a convenience or an intrusion in our lives? I didn't realise you still had to use your card there to pay, so it's not quite that swish. Joining us now is Nick Pickle from Big Brother Watch. Morning, Nick. Good morning. Uh, You've probably got a problem with this, haven't you? Well, I think that the big thing is about
14: making sure people know what's going on, and one of the systems about this is when you register as a customer it's uh, it's a bit like an oyster card right. it tracks all your movements it lists all your parking journeys and who knows how long that data is kept for is it being sold to advertisers no one really knows and the company's response has been well we have no plans to do anything like that but who knows what they might do in the future
0: but it makes our lives easier doesn't it nick that's all we want is to make our lives easier well, and that's
14: fine, but I think the main thing is that people need to have the, all the information up front so they can make a choice. And the problem is if you're selling something on convenience but not telling people about the full impact of oh. what you're doing, then it's not really a choice.
0: We have a statement from the company behind the technology, Parkeon. Uh, all data provided by subscribers is co- uh, covered by the Data Protection Act. The supplier does not sell any information to third parties or have any intention of doing so. There we go, that's that sorted.
14: Well, the key thing is often that people don't sell data what they do is is they charge people to access it. Uh-huh. There's a very big difference there. So Google doesn't sell your data, but it, it makes an awful lot of money from advertisements based on the fact of the data it collects. So there's a bit of, uh, of word jumping there. But, but no, the main thing is that people need to have all the information up front so they can make an informed choice. And if in a couple of years' time, or even a few months' time, it might be that someone wants to know, okay, so uh, are there any drivers who are using lots of car parks because they might be driving a long way so we can target them with some kind of insurance product would people then feel that they haven't been monitored when it lands on their doorstep that's a different question
0: but in, in the great you know the great scheme of things getting a few phone calls cold call phone calls and a few letters through the post and a few emails is trying to sell you stuff does it does it really matter nick well there's two points one is people
14: do feel it matters and i think the amount of marketing material we're receiving now is only going up and I think people are getting to the point now where they're pretty sick of it. But then also, it, it highlights what happens when data is combined with other data. So, heaven forbid you get in a divorce case, or you might simply have a a, 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 a speeding ticket, or just a, 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 a contractual dispute with somebody, mm. and suddenly there's this huge range of data from your mobile phone, from your parking machines, from everything, that has been tracking your movements with incredible detail. And people might start to realise, well, hang on a minute, I I thought I was going about my business as an innocent person... Why is it, then, that I was tracked every step of the way?
0: Uh, Nick Pickles from Big Brother Watch, thank you very much. Always uh, good to have someone on from that. I have just been informed that you can register at these car parks. So, whereas uh, Victoria used her debit card in the report, you can register, so you don't need to. So, all your, your car details are stored already. We got, I've got a statement from uh, Parky on the company. I, I won't read the whole thing, but basically they're saying they do not sell information to third parties or have any uh, intention uh, of doing so. <laughs>
1: On FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. Busy,
0: busy, busy. Lots in the next half an hour, including a report on elderly care. Anna Lark, who you've probably seen in the newspapers, Justin Lee Collins' ex-girlfriend will be in as well. And also, I went to the pictures yesterday, I saw Looper, the time travel movie. Very disappointing, It's, it's filled with too many paradoxes and it's flawed. But, despite that, I bought some nachos and a bag of Revels. It was like eight quid! It was eight quid. Cinema food is is very expensive. By strange coincidence, the government have now, or members of parliament have got involved, saying they want to reduce the price of food in cinemas. Which I think is a good thing, but then part of me thinks, why on earth are the government getting involved? We'll be speaking about that a little bit later on. Uh, I've been asking all morning for your, your texts and your emails on what you've won. A uh, young lad won the Great British Bake Off yesterday. His mum said he's never won anything before. Uh, so what have you won? 08459 oh, 455555. Five, double five. Uh, on the email, Marina says, The only things I've won is a lovely doll in a raffle when my little girl was five and the odd certificate or cash prize for cake and jam. Uh, in the local town show. Now that sounds good. And then she says that the the pr- cash prize was fifteen shillings. So that was over forty years ago. You won that. Sue says, "Really? I won ten grand on a lottery scratch card." You joke, is Sue? Sue, I need a new pair of shoes. Uh, On the text 81333, starting your text 3CR, David in Marsh Farm. Two weeks ago, I went to a choir concert in St Albans in aid of the hospice. I spent £5 on raffle and won, to my surprise, a very rare bottle and cask cask strength 55.8% proof whiskey. Not tried it yet. Wow. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, John from Marsh Farm. Marsh Farm is the place to be if uh, you want to win stuff, apparently. I once won uh, won an archery contest winning a £10 Woolworths voucher. However, my victory lasted five minutes. Shooting over 150 feet, the judge disqualified my last arrow as my foot was partially over the, li- the line. The contest was awarded to the son of the judge. Trust It changed my life. Trust no one.
1: Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Deary BBC thing. Three Counties Radio. All this week...
0: Uh, On the show, we're talking about the crisis facing elderly care. With people living longer and less money available, councils are being forced to cut back spending on care homes and consider other ways of looking after the growing elderly population. But what if you have an elderly relative who needs help? Charities like Age Concern can offer support and advice. Our reporter Tony Fisher spoke to Jill Cuthbert, who is a wellbeing officer for the organisation in Luton.
15: A lot of people struggle and ring into Age Concern saying, I don't know what to do, you know, and so we do a a lot of telephone advice in those kind of situations for people who really have never faced that situation before. And it's very hard looking after a parent, because you've got a role reversal, you know, they've always looked after you. And now you're starting to look after them, and it becomes quite tricky.
7: It must be a lot of form filling and that sort of thing, and going oh, through yes. council bureaucracy. Yes, uh, that must take all. That must take quite a lot of time.
15: Yes, um, we have support. Means workers. testing, yeah. uh, all of that. Yeah a lot of people need help with forms um for things like attendance allowance when they start to need more help carers benefits and that kind of thing yeah we do a lot of a lot of form filling for people helping people fill the forms in some people we give volunteers to that will go and visit that will help the relatives because what happens these days modern families everybody works and i get we get phone calls in um saying well i work all day but my so my mother, parent has got no one no company during the day and um, so we can send a volunteer in in that situation someone to regularly visit and so um, or we can possibly get get them to go to a, one of our lunch clubs or we can phone them for a chat so we do various other things to sort of help in that kind of situation but i can see how difficult it is for a lot of families
7: i imagine quite a, in quite a few instances things just sort of fall through the net
15: they do and, and a lot of it's through just lack of knowledge or people come across this sort of situation for the first time and they just don't know what to do can take one of our support workers a couple of hours to fill in and that's they know how to fill the forms in so you can imagine how long it would take someone who doesn't really know how to fill these forms in it's 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 very daunting for people
7: and when people get help they they have Mm. to get means tested i suppose so if if you have the means then you end up paying for it somehow, whether it comes out of your pension or whatever. But if you really are hard up or on benefits, then presumably uh, the state helps out, does it?
15: It does. But these days with um, the cutbacks really beginning to bite, then the people that will get state funded are fewer and fewer. um, And so it does become more of a problem. And the, the very minimum that... It costs to be in a care home, it is about around the £490 a week, that sort of figure. That's the very lowest that you would pay, uh, right up to uh, a couple of thousand a week, depending on what type of care it is. It's a huge amount of money, and people are having to sell their homes to fund it. And it's a big worry for people.
0: Ah, well, there we go. We've been asking this morning, uh, what have you won? Paul Faulkner on the Twitter, at Ian Lee, or at BBC3CR, they both work? I left a pub lotto syndicate. Two weeks later, they won 150 grand. Ha 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 You sucker! I said sucker. Uh, I was quite gutted, to say the least. I bet you were... How many were in the syndicate Paul? How much would you have won if you'd have stayed in that syndicate? The lottery is a tax on thick people, though, isn't it? Re- basically, it, it's, it's an idiot's tax. And you hear these stories of people winning, but no, no one really does. Now, here's something. Uh, BBC Look East, that's the telly, yeah, would like to hear from you if you've been a recent victim of crime. How were you treated by the police? They're looking to speak to you about your story in the run-up to the Police and Crime Commissioner elections. If you've been a victim and are happy to be contacted by the BBC, please let us know here at Three Counties on 08459 455 555. Or text us your name and number, uh, and let us know that you're happy to be contacted, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can email by going through the Three Counties website, bbc.co.uk forward slash Three Counties. And while we're doing a little plug, I should probably mention that there are other ways of contacting us, apart from the phone numbers and the texts. Uh, And I thoroughly recommend that you go on the Facebook. We're all on Facebook, aren't we? Aren't we? Is there anyone listening not on Facebook? Come on. Even my mum's on Facebook. She doesn't know how to use a computer. She's on Facebook. Um, and find uh, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, and we quite often, we post up some of the stuff that we're talking about before the show on there, so you have a little heads up. Uh, we post up pictures and extra stuff and audio and videos and loads of other stuff that we can't fit into the show. So well worth going to have a look. And also, Twitter, which I'm, I'm finding Twitter more and more irritating. as, as I do find it. It's, t- t- Twitter is annoying. And if I didn't have 33,000 followers, I'd close it. But sometimes it's quite handy to say, oh, I'm doing this, come and have a listen. I'm doing this, go and, go and send me some money. Uh, but on Twitter, you can either follow me, at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, or you can follow um, at BBC3CR, which is the, the the Twitter feed of the station. Or you can follow both. There's no, hey, listen, there's no rules. I'm not going to be a, a, a Twitter fascist. You can do what you want. I do block, though, if I get abuse. <coughs> if anyone sends me anything that I vaguely consider to be abuse, I block without, without prejudice. You're gone. Now... When you last went to the cinema, you might have been put off buying the treats. You say, it says it on here for your kids, but it's for you, really, isn't it? Because they're too expensive. I once, in a, a cinema, um, spent £15 pounds on one bag of pick-and-mix. I, li- I do like a pick-and-mix. You've got to get the levels right. And it was so much in there that the young lady working in there said, Oh, my God, I've never seen spe- such a big bag of pick-and-mix. I, I had the record for pick-and-mix. Well, MPs are calling for a cut in the price of sweets, drinks, ice cream and all of that stuff at the movies. The Respect MP George Galloway and the former Conservative Minister Sir Peter Bottomley says they deplore the profiteering by cinema chains, which they accuse of exploiting their customers they've signed a Commons motion urging them to reduce the prices in line with those in shops and restaurants. Richard Fitzwilliams is a film critic and social commentator. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, How much do you think you've spent on sweets during your time as a film critic, or do you just get them free?
5: Well, I mean, here you have it. You go to your rather comfortable uh, critic screening, and then occasionally, not all the time, unless these days they lay on entertainment Mm. of some sort. Uh, You know, you can have a free coca-cola or occasionally sandwiches but, but as i said that sort of hospitality is less than it was isn't it just but if you go into your cinema and you look at the prices in fact i must tell you i never suffer because i bring in my own coca-cola richard I, you're
0: not allowed to some cinemas they'll chuck you out for doing that
5: uh, well i so Go on. Um, Tell us your Give a hint on there. Uh, <laughs> well, we don't might- cond-
0: we don't condone it, but yes, let's hear your story, Richard. Go on.
5: Put a, a can of Coca Cola in your pocket. You can pick it up for <gasps> sixty or seventy. Or 80 and don't pay prices so appalling that i mean the whole thing is a total ripoff. They, they
0: they are very very expensive aren't they
5: well yes and if you consider the fact that cinema prices themselves go up and up and also consider that if you happen to be going to a 3d uh, there are extra problems uh you know you really are going to be paying a lot of money and if there's someone if you're together say or perhaps you're paying for someone else and they want uh,
0: a romantic uh, evening well yes i was going
5: to use the word popcorn but there you have a real (laughs) problem and of course if you have one of the medium or the giant-sized Coca-Colas, the whole thing is a total rip-off, and it should be looked at.
0: But do you think, Richard, uh, I I agree it should be looked at, but should it be looked at by the government? Should MPs really be getting involved in in what is basically uh, uh, private businesses?
5: Yes, this, of course, is what may in fact mean that what is well meant doesn't actually come to anything. I mean, they may not actually be able to change it, but I do think that if people and there's no doubt about it they're behaving in a way that is absolutely outrageous if you put prices to a level that's outrageous even if you can do so legally Mm. the least parliament can do is to make noises and if people realize that they're being watched that something is absolutely appalling that it's pretty immoral and exploitative you've got your captive audience quite literally in the cinema Mm. and you expect them to buy drinks that are in the foyer. I had le- Much y- better. Yesterday,
0: Make- I had Nachos and a bag of Revels, eight quid. Eight quid!
5: Appalling. It's, it's it quite literally, it's obscene. Make a fuss. Even if it doesn't actually bring prices down, it may mean they go up you know, at a slower rate.
0: Richard, very quickly, what was the last film you saw?
5: Well, the last film I saw was um, Skyfall, and I have to tell you, it's worth it. No plot Details and no spoilers for me. Bond is back, and this is a remarkable film because at last, after 50 years, the series really is growing up. We saw this with Casino Royale, of course, and then Quantum dived to uh, the nadir, I thought, of uh, Bond experiences. I thought it was terrible. But this is totally new and under Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. And, And do see, by the way, Everything or Nothing, which is the documentary of the last 50 years of Bond without Sean Connery, I'm afraid, but... Oh, he, Sean so,
0: Connery's all bitter about it, isn't he? He claims he's owed millions.
5: No, he's, he's extremely bitter, and... Get over it, Connery. Well, this is part, perhaps, of the fun and games of it. There, are, there have been lots of problems along the way, but my goodness, it's cinema's most lucrative franchise in real terms. Harry Potter still leads, but Harry Potter has its limits. Bond has no limits, and go and see... An absolutely cracking good. Well, it's a, a, a form of thriller, really. I'm there,
0: Richard Fitzwilliams. Fantastic. Look at that. Got him on for an interview. Got a sneaky little f- free film review as well. Right, there we go. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to uh, give us a call, or you can text eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR now. Last week, the television presenter, Justin Lee Collins, was found guilty of harassing his former partner, Anna Lark. A jury at St. Albans Crown Court agreed that he'd subjected her to sustained emotional and domestic abuse during their seven-month relationship. He was given 140 hours of community service. Uh, Anna Lark lives in Wellingarn City. She joins me now. Morning. Hiya. Why did you feel the need to go to court with this?
16: Right. Well, it was, it, actually, it was my dad that initiated this. I'd left him on July the 4th, I'd gone back home to live with my parents. Um, I spent about two and a half months crying on my bed and like just being an absolute state. And my, uh, my parents knew what had happened to me and my brother had. And my dad intervened and he just went to the police and said, look, you know, we really need Anna to speak to you. So my brother and him invented some kind of like little uh, thing whereby they said they knew someone at the police. And they'd like to speak to me. Mm. So um, that's really how it came about. And I decided to go to court. I felt like going um, to the papers is just a really, really, really—that's a really bad way of going about it. I wanted to see it through court. I Mm. wanted to get a proper conviction. Um, I didn't think. But you have gone
0: to the papers now, haven't you?
16: I have, yeah. Because what I'm doing now is I'm going to be making um, people aware of domestic violence. Mm. Uh, It's the you know, the emotional abuse—the kind of abuse that stays with you like well after like bruises and things like that fade yeah. um because i have a, i know uh, it sounds a bit twee but i've got the scars but they're just on the inside and they're still there and yeah. you know emotional abuse and uh verbal abuse it's just it's horrible it's so horrible it just you just it completely brainwashes you changes you completely. why did you
0: stay in the relationship so long
16: i loved him i really, really loved him. despite all that i know i know it's a lot of people do ask me that why did you stay? And I always thought I was going to be one of these people that if anyone ever shouted at me or called me, I mean, I can't swear obviously, this time in the morning but if anyone spoke to me really badly I always thought to myself, i will just tell them to get lost and mm. go and go but I really loved him, I realised he had a problem and I really, really wanted to help him I really, really wanted to help him and I said I'll do, you know, I'll do anything while I'll help you but he denied having a problem and you know there's no helping someone who who doesn't think they have a problem at all? Do you still love him? Do you know what? I've been asked that quite a few times um, since Conviction. I've been doing so many interviews and things. I'm absolutely exhausted. I don't even have I haven't had time to rest my brain. And I've been saying, I think so, yeah, but... Really thinking about it? No, I don't. I don't think so. I really don't. Mm. I think it's just um, because I'm dredging up all this stuff again from the past. I think I'm just getting a little bit emotional and
0: confused. I don't. I don't think so. Um, if I ask anything that's inappropriate, tell me to get lost. Okay. How much did you get paid for the interview that, that was in the papers at the weekend? Get lost. <laughs> really?
16: Mm-hmm.
0: Are, are you keeping the money, or is that going, or what's right. happening?
16: I have done so many interviews and pretty much everything has gone to refuge. Right. I actually went to refuge yesterday to speak with them about like, uh, probably doing some kind of campaign against domestic violence and making people aware of, um, the signs and like, you know getting people to try and report it i actually had an email from some woman this morning Mm. who um she asked me for help because she didn't know what to do because she's in an abusive relationship and she doesn't she wants to prosecute but she doesn't know how to do it Mm. so you know i'm starting to get emails now people well we've had lots of emails about people saying they've because of this case they've left their abusive mm. partners um which is absolutely brilliant i mean even if i can help one person that's just one how person. how do
0: you reply to an email like that what what, what do you say what is your it's advice to really, someone who's in a relationship um, like that well the
16: thing is my advice is if you are in a relationship like that um i uh, it i mean emotional abuse it's, it's only going to get worse it is only going to get worse mm. it doesn't get better it does you know, initially, you know, get the honeymoon period where everything's really, really lovely as they're sort of like pulling you and drawing you in. Mm. And then ever so gradually, like what Justin did, which was he removed and he told me to, well, he demanded I remove my Facebook, my Twitter, my Xbox Live, my LinkedIn, like remove all the contacts from that, my MSN, all those things. He you asked, did
0: it? You did it willingly? Will it?
16: Well, I mean, it was a case of if I didn't do it, then you know you either face his wrath or go so right. i had to it was his he said it was one rule for him and one more for me so i did i did it and um, ch- he asked me to change my phone number and i did that as well he also deleted all the contacts from my phone mm. so he started to isolate me um yeah it's just and then obviously there was the verbal abuse and i obviously unrepeatable things um,
0: I, I feel i should declare an interest because i have met you before because yes, you we have, have. worked uh, a couple of times at various video game That's awards correct, ceremonies yeah. and stuff like that so i know you through that i have worked yeah. with justin in the past and yep. i sort of know him uh, to say hello to yeah. and when i met you yeah. uh, I, I, I can't remember three or four times you were very bubbly and very outgoing yeah. and uh, it, and then when i read what was happening or what had been happening to you yeah. i was so surprised because you seem you are such a strong Person,
16: it's weird. It's, it's weird. They can they can grind you down, and they can they can completely. It's almost like brainwashing. They can change your personality. Mm. You know, you don't. They they separate you from your family, from your friends. They tell you, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're lucky to have them. Um, He was sleep depriving me, so I couldn't really think properly. I had to sleep facing him. I couldn't turn my back to him. Um, He would tell me what to wear. So he'd say, meet me down the road at the coffee shop. I'd walk down. He'd look at me and go, I really don't like what you're wearing. Turn around and go back, go change. Uh, He didn't like my hair, didn't like it tied back. He said it looked... Uh, oh, actually, I probably can't say the word. Okay. Um, yeah, so we controlled my makeup, my uh, the way I talked. I couldn't say certain words, um, which I, uh, some I can't repeat, actually, on this as well. But one of them was gruel, which is the word I use for soup. Don't ask me why. I don't know. How do you
0: think... Uh, w- one of the things that surprised me as the case was going on was mm. how you were presented in some of the papers. I remember, d- 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 you know, we're talking about an abuse case. Yeah. And the, the, the mail, I think it was the mail, had a front-page picture of you where it was kind of showing quite a lot of cleavage. I thought <laughs> that was... I thought that's quite an inappropriate picture to be shown when it's such a serious uh, issue like this. How, did, did you pay yeah. any attention to, to the press as it was going on? Yes, I did. Yeah,
16: I, I did. Um... And I mean, I think a couple of, well, you know, a fair few uh, uh, publications, like, portrayed me like, as they tried to in the defense um, in court, portray me as um, an alcoholic nutcase, because mm. that's all, you know, that they... That's all that his defence had on me. You
0: are a recovering alcoholic, is that true? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. You go to meetings and...
16: I haven't been to meetings for actually a little while, which is a bit naughty, I know. It's very, very naughty, but, um, yes, I am, and I'm doing really, really well. Um...
0: But yeah, um, What's it done to your reputation, all of this coming out? A lot of stuff that I'd imagine you'd like to keep private. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the,
16: basically there's a pucker pad. What he did was he basically got me to write down in a pucker pad, well, actually not me write down, he wanted me to dictate everybody I'd ever been with or been intimate the with. the actual pad? That's the actual pad. Wow. Do you wanna, oh, no, I don't, I don't, know. It's, yeah. it's horrific, it's um, horrific. So he forced me to do that and I didn't want to do it, but he said to me, if I don't do it, he's going to dump me. He said that he didn't want because he was so famous, he didn't want a story to come out about me in the papers that he didn't know about. He said it would give clarity to our relationship and help our relationship. And it didn't. And I knew it wouldn't because he used to keep it in the wardrobe and then go Columbo on me, where he would go quiet and then go, Hmm Actually, and there's something that doesn't seem right. Tell me about this incident and I'd have to repeat it again in graphic detail. We're talking we're talking like
7: yeah okay
16: yeah graphic and um if something wasn't right he would like run to the bedroom and like go and get the pucker pad and then start reading out and say no actually look you say here you did this and this I mean who remembers what they did when they were younger mm. when they were into, i mean there's you know, there's a lot of people in here which is these people who have been intimate and
0: would you, there, there are some people listening who would be um interested that you're being represented by one of the biggest PR companies yes, in, in the country why why is that why are you uh, doing why, that we
16: chose max clifford because basically after the court case um we were absolutely overwhelmed by, by the media response we had absolutely well, I had absolutely no idea um quite you know Mm. how it was going to be and it's the interest has been unbelievable and there is absolutely no way i could handle you know that kind of media and the emails and you you just want
0: to disappear now though and go and hide uh, hide your head under the pillow and just let no you're gonna
16: no i don't no i don't what i want to do is from this really bad experience i want to do good now um i really want to campaign for domestic violence Mm. and also you know get emotional mental and you know verbal that kind of abuse it's not just physical um i want people to be uh, like you know i want people to know about it and i want women to be able to like think that they can you know they can speak out i mean there's places they can go like refuge there are you know a, there are places there are like services available for women and men and mm. men as well it's not just women <laughs> right that's bit, important
0: i think to, to mention that yeah it's not just, just women it's yeah, yeah the
16: men as well i mean we. i've i found out that since this case has happened that um, quite a lot of women have left their um, abusive relationships, and there is also one man as well whose mm. whose partner, his um, girlfriend, was absolutely abusing him uh, to pieces. And he, because of this case, thought, "Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not going." And he left. So it's yeah, it's it's men, women, you know, it's everybody that's involved in a. Once audition.
0: you've stopped all the interviews, and I know you, you're very busy, and you're in yeah, lots of papers yeah. and on the radio, so that what do you do next?
16: Well, that's the thing. We ha- we actually haven't. That's me and my brother. My brother sort op- like manages me and my so bruv. We, my bruv, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he deals with <laughs> he deals with all the incoming emails and everything. Because if I had to deal with that as well, I, I think my head would yeah. explode. But um, like I say, we went to refuge yesterday, and we want to do something with them um, to help. A, uh, people in abusive relationships yeah. you want? I want to speak out I will probably go, want to go around and talk to people that have been abused and maybe also talk to people that are abusers about it and just go around I just want to raise awareness I, I, think, it's be, um, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be if I hide away and like, you know, go back maybe to games, PR, or anything, you know, and then I've had this happen to me and I've got now I've got a good chance to really, really mm, help people. And I know people think, oh, she's like doing all these interviews and taking the money. I'm not taking the money. I've taken a couple of fees because no. I need to eat. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I don't have enough money to put in my gas meter however you know i need to eat and things but the rest of the fees and the, the and, and you know and the donations mm. and you know i'm doing these interviews they're all going we, to refuge okay. we should make at it the clear that
0: you're not getting any money for coming in today nice uh, yeah. thank you very much for coming thank in
16: thank you ever so much uh
0: analog we're a little bit late but sometimes i think it's it's worth pursuing something a little bit longer Then and i found that absolutely fascinating right lots coming up in the last hour of the show i'll tell you what after the latest news and sport with Catherine boyle High fives all around, because I've just remembered I was staying in a hotel last night. Breakfast is included in the deal. After this show, I'm getting a hotel buffet breakfast. Sweet as... sweet! Last hour of the show, plenty coming up before Jonathan Vernon-Smith at 9 o'clock, including the mother of Gary McKinnon has welcomed the decision not to extradite him to the US. She will be on this programme in the next half an hour. MPs call for a cut in the price of sweets and treats at the cinemas. And the mum of the great British Bake Off winner says the competition was the first thing he'd ever won. We're asking this morning, what have you won? Let's, let's celebrate how good you are. You can uh, email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Or, this is the best way to do it, let's be honest. You can give me a call, 08459 four double five five double five.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Oh, yeah. And the work experience, Ollie, in an attempt to get into my good books, has just brought me a cup of coffee. It's not worked, Ollie. It's not worked. Now, the Hertfordshire mother of British computer hacker Gary McKinnon has welcomed Home Secretary Theresa May's decision to block his extradition to the US. Janice Sharp said she was overwhelmed after an emotional rollercoaster, and she said Mrs May had been incredibly brave to stand up to the US. The 46-year-old, who has Asperger's Syndrome, admitted accessing Pentagon computers from his bedroom in North London. But he says he was only looking for information on UFOs. Well, David Birmingham was one of the NatWest three. Remember them? The British bankers who ended up in a US jail after losing a high-profile fight against extradition. Morning, David. Good morning. For those who don't remember, could you just go fill us in briefly on the background of the story again?
17: Yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, we were accused, there were three of us who lived and worked in London, were accused by the United States government of defrauding our bank in London, that west, um, of $7 million in a deal involving um, uh, the chief financial officer of a company called Enron, which some people may, re- may remember went spectacularly bust in 2001.
0: You say that with a little bit of glee in your voice, David. Oh, oh God, no, there's no glee involved, <laughs> I can assure you of that. No. Uh, w- 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 you, and you were extradited? Yes, we H- were. How, yeah. did, how long did that process take, and, and, and what were you feeling as it was going on?
17: Well, the thing, the thing was, we were the first people to be extradited under this, this new extradition act as it then was in 2003. Our extradition took place in 2006, and it became immediately apparent to us that the, the, the law was fundamentally flawed, which is essentially partially what Theresa May tried to fix yesterday, because the United States could request the extradition of anybody without evidence, and also because a judge in this country couldn't say, hang on a minute, this case belongs here, which was clearly the case with ours. Uh, we wanted to be tried in this country, but the law did not provide for it, and that 's what Mrs. May yesterday decided to fix at the same time as as denying uh, gary's extradition.
0: Do you think that she's done enough in the, in the changes that she's made?
17: Well, then, um, she's done a lot. Let's put it that way. The, the, the introduction of a forum bar allowing a judge to say, no, I think this case really does belong, belong in the UK is an enormously important change. I think there are still those, and I'm one of them, who believe that for any country, it's not just the US, for any country to be able to, to request the extradition of a UK citizen without having to produce a prima facie case, mm. some evidence, I think it's just wrong in principle. I don't think any, any country should do it.
0: How do you feel about Gary not being extradited? Do you feel, and uh, bitter is probably uh, too strong a word, but do you feel kind of regret or resentment at all?
17: No, not in the slightest. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I was determined to make some, some good come out of the bad that happened to us, and I've campaigned for many years to, to change this law, and I've been, you know, I've been in almost daily contact with, uh, with Janice Sharp, Gary's mother. Um, helping helping them in any way, any small way that I can, and a number of other people besides. So I was overjoyed yesterday, absolutely
0: overjoyed. And you, you mentioned Janice Sharp, the mum, who we're going to have on the show in a little bit, and we've, we've spoken to her yesterday and, and several times here on this station. Uh, and it does make you wonder how the families of those who are being extradited and facing, you know, potentially lengthy sentences, how they feel. How did did your family cope with what was going on? Well, it's enormously
17: difficult. Um, You know, we've got an awful lot of very close, very good supportive friends. And I knew that the moment I was stuck on a plane to go to America not knowing when I'd ever be back, That my family would be looked after but it is an enormously stressful time very very difficult for them because they're a long way away they really don't know what's happening they don't know if you're ever coming back it's it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's a, I mean, in many senses, it's a bit like the wives of, of soldiers who go away on service, except that they know that in six months' time, God willing, their husband's coming home. Mm. So, so they have a, a short period of extreme anxiety. But the point about extradition is that you may never know when somebody's coming home. It could be you know years and years and years before that person comes home. And I think, in a sense, that's why it was so important that Mrs. May did what she did yesterday and said, you know, more cases ought to be dealt with in this country, and that's why we're changing the law. Because at least if you're facing justice here, you can prepare for that alongside and you know in the arms of your family and your friends.
0: What, what, what length of sentence were you facing?
17: Uh, Thirty-five
0: years. That's just, <laughs> that, uh, that must have been terrifying. Yes, well, I mean, you know,
17: it's, it's something you come to terms with. I mean, in much the same way as, as, as Gary has lived under the threat for the last 10 years of a, a potential sentence of 60 years, mm. 35 years was the statutory maximum. In practice, had we gone to trial and, and pled guilty, it would probably have been less than that. But, but the most important thing is that in America, there is no parole in the federal system. So 35 years means 35 years. Wow. And the prosecutors won't let you come home.
0: David, uh, thank you very much. David Birmingham, one of the NatWest three, uh, the British bankers who ended up in a US jail after losing a high-profile fight against extradition. It it Just imagine that, the the thought of being sent to a foreign country and you might be there for 35 years in jail. It's just incredible. Imagine how your mum would feel, your wife, your kids incredible. Uh, David, fantastic. Thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. Someone uh, uh, on Facebook, Philip, is talking about things he's won. Oh, Philip, you've not won anything since 1965? Oh, my God. Nearly 50 years ago. I won the egg and spoon race in my infant school in 1965. My first and last great sporting achievement. Notable because all the eggs have been smashed so were pota- So potatoes were used instead. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. You can't use potatoes. The kids these days, they don't do egg and spoon races with, with eggs. You get these brilliant toys, and I think this is a great uh, I- I- invention. They're these plastic eggs that when you drop, they crack open, and like a little beanbag with a yolk falls out, which I think is great. Bob in Bedford has uh, emailed him. Uh, uh, This is about the the cost of food uh, in cinemas. Instead of wasting our money and time in taxes looking into coke and popcorn at cinemas, how about the government getting the prices of gas and electric down so people can stay warm in the winter months? Bob, uh, yeah, I can't argue with that. It does seem a little bit more important, doesn't it? And and, perhaps uh, the government and MP should be focusing maybe slightly more on that than the cost of a bag of minstrels or a Mars bar. Uh, Vera is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Vera. Good morning. Uh, You're a winner, are you? Yes. What what have you won? I go back yonks, really. Oh, blimey. Go on, let's let's hear it. What have you won? Uh,
18: It's the Silver Poet Award.
0: The silver, silver poet. poet award, does, yes. s- does silver mean second place?
18: It does, yes. I don't
0: know if I can <laughs> technically classify that as a win. Oh,
18: you don't. Well, I will I All oh, right then, leave it at that. No. I won second. <laughs> no, I won second place. I, it wasn't a monetary award, okay, and no. I haven't got a silver cup, but I have got the award hanging. Well, the Vera, uh, I, certificate is hanging
0: on the wall. Vera, we, I have taken a steward <laughs> inquiry. We can we <laughs> can include second place as a sort of win. So you've got a sort
18: si- of win. I Ooh, I give that to one second place and you can win third. Place. I won
0: I won second place in the Sony there you Awards. Are. You Wait, be the be, but it's I came second, I didn't win.
18: You didn't lose then. You're good, Vera, you're I well, am good. You, <laughs> I am good.
0: <laughs> a little bit bonkers, but good.
18: Yeah, I am, yeah.
0: Yes. So <laughs> you, you won a certificate for, for your poetry, yes, did you?
18: Yes. Um, Victor Price was there, uh, awarded it. Well, presented who? it, but I wasn't there because it's in America, what? you see. Hang
0: on, well, hang on a second. Suddenly, this story got global.
18: Yeah. So it wasn't. I just was in America em- for three weeks with my daughter.
0: Calm down, calm we, down, Vera, calm down, uh, calm down.
18: I was in America. <laughs> How's that?
0: That's much better. Oh, now, brown, brown cow. cow. Now,
18: yes. then, shall we go back again? Yes. Go on. You, 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 we'll you go are, I'll drink coffee my coffee. I'll and drink my coffee.
0: You, you carry on chattering away to yourself. Go on.
18: Will you have one ear on me, then? I'm listening. All right, then. Where were we? You were in America. In California. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I was there for a few weeks, with my daughter. Yes. And I think she must have decided to send my S poem. It's now called The Symphony of S's. Right. I sent it to your department, but nobody read it out. I think it was too difficult, because everywhere begins with an S. Oh, my goodness. Yes, gosh, I sorry. know. Yes. Yeah, you're splashing all over the place. It really is difficult Sorry? to read. Yes. Um, but it did win second place. But it didn't get anywhere in the Guinness Book. Uh, there isn't a no. category for it. That's no. sad, isn't
0: it? Well, there's not a well, category for bonkers women no. winning second place in American oh, poetry no. competitions. No, of course not. Wait a minute,
18: they called an ingenious composition. <laughs> now that's good enough.
0: <laughs> ah, Vera, you're fantastic. Any, vi- I'm giving Vera, I'm awarding Vera a golden pass. And that means any time Vera calls up, She just comes straight on the air. She just jumps the queue. She comes straight on the air. Vera, fantastic. Thank you. It's a golden pass, not a silver one. Because second doesn't count as a win. But thank you, Vera. Been a good sport. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is in the studio with me, looking very,
6: very smart. I do like that shirt. Do you? Yes. A lot of people like this shirt. It's pink. It's kind of a, a very light pink blue buttons. Yes, I know. It's got a snazzy cuff as <laughs> well.
0: <laughs> I love a snazzy cuff. I love a snazzy cuff. You must have been cuff. gutted that the football was cancelled last night. I was yeah.
6: very upset. Disappointed. I've been hearing all about this football business last night. I know. I, I don't like
0: football either. No. Uh, uh, but I kind of wish I'd watched it, because I, I turned on my phone after having a little doze, and Twitter
6: was awash with the, the farce. What's wrong with all these stupid people? Honestly. <laughs> what is wrong with them, though? For goodness sake, racial abuse on the pitch. I'm not talking about the racial abuse. Oh. I'm
0: talking. I'm, I'm not wouldn't make me be making light. Of that. That is wrong. I saw about the other football match that was rained off.
6: Oh, right. Oh, don't care about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as if I was coming with a, a light. <laughs> Let's have a jolly chat before we find well, out what's on oh your get, show about about racial yeah, abuse. They, apparently, there is all this terrible racial horrible, abuse yeah, last horrible. night. Absolutely, disgusting boot the Ukraine out of football. What, what's wrong with them? No, we don't. Goodness we don't want that. Sake. Let them and Spain go off and have their own little racist tournament somewhere, and we'll we won't be dodged. Are they
6: racially abusive in Spain? There, well? There's
0: there's a lot of it in Spain. Yes, really. Yeah, but people. Act, it's 2012.
6: Not in no,
0: not at all. people in 2012 actually doing monkey chants? In twenty twelve. I know. I don't, I just anyway, it's incredible. But that but I uh, I I'm now embarrassed that you would think I would come in with a light hearted no, bit of no, banter
6: no. about racism. Thank goodness we live here, that's all I can say. And not in some horrible foreign country. It's some some yeah, Exactly where they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. Not racist here in Britain, not no. in Loughton, anyway. Well, no. What's on your show this morning, sir? Coming up on the big phone in this morning, yes. very interested in your conversation you had just a few moments ago with Anna Lark. Uh, of course, the ex-partner uh, of Justin Lee Collins, yes. The, uh, yes, indeed. And uh, her talking about the fact that uh, she experienced all this abuse in the relationship, mm. and uh, I was very interested in your line of questioning about why she's now coming out and uh, sharing her message and trying to get that message home at nine o'clock this morning i don't know if you've heard it yet have you heard the the recording of justin lee collins i i I saw it was online and i didn't i didn't play it are you going to play it out i'm going to play it it's got swears in uh, Have someone listened get, to it before? We're going to take away the swearing. Okay, you're actually going to play it. Okay, yeah. At nine o'clock, we're going to play. If you, if you're wondering, if you listened to, to Anna Lark a little earlier, and you kind of, you've been hearing bits and mm. pieces of this story with Justin Lee Collins. At nine o'clock, we're going to play you just a recording. Wow of of the way he spoke to her okay that'll be interesting and at nine on the big phone in today have you experienced verbal abuse in a relationship Mm. we often talk about men who who punch their girlfriends and physically assault Mm. their girlfriends um what about verbal abuse Mm. not necessarily people who who then take that verbal abuse uh, to a physical level but people who are just verbally abusive verbally nasty Mm. verbally controlling to their partner what is that like to experience in a relationship? And do you think, to, to some extent, most relationships at some point will have a level of verbal abuse, and you shouldn't necessarily be too concerned about it? It's something you have to work through. Or the minute verbal abuse starts, is that the beginning of the end? We all say things in arguments and call people names. Well, do you know what I'm talking about? My team upstairs, yeah, and they're saying, "Oh no, no, my partner's never raised their voice to oh, me. And if come if on. they raise their voice to me, oh, I think that would we'd lose trust. We, that would be the end of the relationship." Oh. I'm thinking hello come on i would imagine most people most couples have at some point had a, a flaming flaming at one another and you say all kinds of things you say things you don't mean of it, course you do indeed. i think it's if,
0: if it's sustained if it's a continuous you know it, it goes on and on and on that's i think is where the problem
6: is indeed but but can verbal abuse in a relationship can it be as bad as physical abuse. Mm. We'll discuss all of this on the big phone-in this morning at nine. Have you experienced verbal abuse in a relationship? If so, get your call in now, 08459 555, and we'll discuss it on the big phone-in at nine.
0: Thank you very much, Jonathan. I shall be listening to that.
1: Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: What a busy show it is this morning, and I shall definitely be listening to uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine o'clock when he plays out... Um, uh, that clip of Justin Lee Collins should be uh, fascinating. Now, back to this. The Hertfordshire mother of British computer hacker Gary McKinnon has welcomed Home Secretary Theresa May's decision to block his extradition to the US. Janice Sharp said she was overwhelmed after an emotional roller coaster, and she said Mrs May had been incredibly brave to stand up to the US. Well, Janice Sharp uh, joins me now from her home in Brookmans Park. Good morning, Janice. Morning. You, what was your reaction when you heard the news?
3: Oh, totally amazing. I just... It was incredible. I can't describe how... The relief, the relief was incredible. And it was, it was better than anything that could ever happen for us, personally.
0: Lots of pictures of you in the newspapers uh, uh, looking jubilant. How, uh, you, what does Gary think?
3: Oh, the same thing. He's been crying and we've been hugging and he's been crying. And I mean, every day he wakes up and he's got this massive pain in his chest. And he's terrified for the first time... He he was able to sleep without that terror. He was was scared to believe it was real. Mm. It was amazing.
0: What happens to Gary now, Janice? Do we know?
3: No, the CPS can decide whether to prosecute or not, but that's not a problem. We'll deal with that. If he has to be prosecuted here, that's what we've fought for for so many years. The, The main thing is the relief that he's staying here... Uh, That's what counts.
0: And if he goes to prison in the UK, you'll you'll accept that?
3: Of course, but at least he's not going to be thousands of miles away from us. At least he's going to be his own peers, and we're going to be able to see him regularly, support him. Uh, It's really important uh, for that to happen. How
0: hard... You you said it was a brave decision for uh, Theresa May to um, stand up to the US... How hard do you think it was for her to make that decision?
3: Incredibly hard. I mean, we've had six or six Home Secretaries uh, during Gary's case. Uh, very, I can't explain just how hard it was for her. No one does it. But I suppose that's the difference... <clears throat> Basically, it's the same advisors who have been in government advising uh, the past government that to extradite. And you can take advice from your advisors, but mm. in the end, a minister must make the decisions. And that's the difference, I think, between a leader and someone who's not a leader.
0: Because previous Home Secretaries have said, oh, well, we can't stop the extradition simply on health grounds.
3: Because they listened to one advisor who wanted Gary extradited because he felt it would set a precedent. But there are other advisors, there are other lawyers. And also, you have to... You can't send somebody who is in a terrible state or somebody who is emotionally challenged. Gary has... Uh, been to a neurologist when he was 16 he was losing his mental faculties his grandmother had lifelong schizophrenia his great grandmother was in a mental institution for 50 years and died there there is so much in Gary's past it's not merely Asperger's like many people like to portray It's very extensive medical evidence that she had access to and that she could judge on, and she judged wisely. I mean, uh, Simon Baron-Cohen, Professor Baron-Cohen, said that Gary is very intelligent, which you have to be for his burgers, but he is the emotional age of a child. I mean, also, in America, if you commit a crime in America, an American, on American soil, they cannot be extradited. So if someone here commits a crime on this soil... Surely we should be tried here, but they're changing the treaty, which is fantastic.
0: There has been a little bit of a backlash, Janice, which I don't know if you're aware of, including that Dr. Leon Massavi, a sociology lecturer on Twitter, has said, Call me sceptical, but I've got a feeling that if Gary McKinnon was a non-white Muslim, he'd be on the first plane to a US supermax jail. And other people have kind of said... Well, isn't it interesting how this Asperger's was only diagnosed recently and there, there is some suspicion around that. How do you feel about those claims, Janice?
3: Well, they're actually not listening to what I'm saying because Gary was a neurologist when he was 16 years old because he was losing his mental faculties. It's in the NHS records. We didn't know to go to a psychiatrist because the World Health Organisation didn't even know about Asperger's till the mid-1990s, by which time Gary was 30. So if they look at the evidence, they will see that this Gary's had these long-term problems. So they're actually choosing some people to actually say it's Asperger's alone without all the other things. But as I say, shouldn't we have equal rights to Americans? They're automatically tried in their own country if they commit a crime on their own soil. Why is it only British people that are dragged from theirs? No one else does it. America stands up for Americans. French stand up for French. Irish stand up for Irish. And thank God now, Britain stands up for British. What did you and do
0: last night to celebrate, Janice?
3: <laughs> well, I was actually doing interviews to really <laughs> late. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. I got home, shattered, had a Chinese takeaway. <laughs>
0: hey, listen, a, a Chinese <laughs> takeaway sounds kidding. absolutely perfect right now. <laughs> Janice Sharp, congratulations. Well done. Uh, the mother there of Gary McKinnon who will not be extradited uh, to the US. I know you've got lots of uh, views on that. If you want to give me a call and share them, you're more than welcome to. Twitter is ablaze with our silver poet Vera. I say ablaze. Two people have kind of said. Uh, Simon Whitehead, it's people like Silver Poet Vera that make your show unmissable and Adam Glynn says, oh man, there's a hilarious caller on right now listen, we, we will get the, um, the the clip of uh, the uh, the Silver Poet Vera, as she's now been called, and we'll put it out as an audio bill, I'll, I'll give you details in a bit on how to find that
1: Across beds, hearts and bucks this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio
0: and suddenly there's less than 30 minutes of the show left. It does. It, it flies by some... Let's be honest, sometimes it drags. Not making any bones. It does. It does. But today, it's flown by, which means it's a blooming good show. Yeah, if you want to hear the clip of uh, Vera, who was our wonderful caller, who um, won the second place in an American poetry competition. I still don't quite understand the full story. We'll put it out as an audio boo. An audio boo is like a a, a tiny little clip of the show. And you can find that by following at BBC3CR on Twitter, or at Ian Lee, or if you go to the Facebook page. Um, Look for BBC Three Counties on Facebook, and it'll pop up there at some point. In the next half an hour, shopkeepers say compensation shouldn't be cut for victims of crime, and a new banking scandal. Yeah, there's a new banking scandal. I'm going to tell you now, it's a text uh, from Sarah, from Hearts. I won a colouring competition that was being run by a certain high street bank when I was five years old. I was so excited and got invited to go and pick up my prize from the branch bank manager. The whole family potted down there and I received my prize. A money box and a T-shirt. Fantastic, you might think. How generous of the bank to give away uh, a money box and a T-shirt, no doubt branded with their own name and all of their details, to to capture them young. But Sarah continues, and here is where the scandal lay. But when my sisters turned on the waterworks because they hadn't won... They got a prize too. How unfair, banks, don't you love them? And then she's done a semicolon, a dash, and... Oh, it looks like a smile. Isn't that good? And a winky eye. I'd never noticed that before. I thought it was just some random punctuation. Excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Banks, don't you just love them? Huh? Now... The union representing shop workers is calling on the government not to cut its compensation scheme for the victims of crime. Usdor says that its members are often subject to attacks, some of them violent. Today, along with other campaigners, it will tell MPs how important the criminal injuries compensation scheme is in helping people come through their ordeal and get back on their feet. Over three years ago, a Luton shopkeeper was murdered, but the family of Jashbai Patel, who was otherwise known as Mr. Moon, have got the shop up and running again. Our reporter Tony Fisher has been speaking to Jashbai's son Amit in the shop in Park Street and asked him about the compensation they received. Without the money, we'd have sunk basically,
7: and as we can see, we're in the shop; it's thriving. People are coming in all the time, and so as you're saying, without that money, the business would have collapsed. Yeah we wouldn't be able to survive, basically. What difference did the compensation make to you and your family? It gave us base to start from again. That's what it did. It, it helped us build the business back up so that mum had an income, because me and my sister are, are, are of age to earn ourselves. So basically whatever we received as children was... It was fine. Um, Incidental to what your mum received to help with the shot. Yeah. Mum's was enough to pay for the refurb, basically. Mm. And put in proper security and a proper shot. Yeah. Fire alarm, alarm, Mm. alarm system connected to the police. Mm. If that weren't to be the case in the future, what would you say? Um, Basically, mum (laughs) would have to live with me and she'd have nothing dad was the main breadwinner in the house. So you're thankful for the compensation that you got, um, and if it was all taken away? No, they shouldn't take it away. If anything, they should improve it, not take it away. But it does It does depend on each circumstance. Each circumstance is different. Nothing is the same. See, mm-hmm. if, we were, if, if we were rich, as it were, and my dad had passed, then the compensation wouldn't have made any difference. because we didn't have anything that compensation made all the difference
0: well tony lloyd is a labor mp who secured a debate in westminster this afternoon on victims and the criminal justice system morning tony good morning Uh, this debate is wider than just being about compensation for shop workers who've been attacked isn't it
19: indeed Um, the the victims through the whole of our criminal justice system don't get the the treatment that they deserve victims ought to be center stage and As an MP over the years, I've come across lots of times when we get things like the police not taking people seriously. You saw that actually even recently in the the, the scandalous case of the the sexual exploitation of young girls in Rochdale, where they were victims, but they weren't treated seriously because they were dismissed as being unreliable or not worthwhile or whatever, but cases where... I had a a terrible case not so long ago of a woman who whose former partner was in prison for seriously injuring her, but um, he was due for release, but the probation service wouldn't let her know when he was being released, be, uh, even though he'd threatened to kill her from inside prison. So, things like that. Tony,
0: why do you think... Because it, 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 obviously it makes, it makes perfect common sense that the victim should be at the centre of everything. Why do you think that that isn't the case so often?
19: I think we've got to to change the whole culture... Some of it, though, has got to start at the top with government because government's got to make it clear through things like the, the compensation scheme that you've, you've just been talking about mm. that we're not going to cut back on, on victims. You know, um, I, 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 there's a case of exactly a shop worker, a young woman in, in my city of Manchester. She was um, attacked at uh, very early one morning when she opened up the, the store. Um, she had some injuries to her back and shoulder, and but the main issue for her was that um, she felt scared to be out alone in the evening or the early morning while she's back at work now. The, the, the problem she had is that she's lost a lot of confidence. And she received um, uh, £1,250 compensation, which was important to help her get her life back on track. <clears throat> but she wouldn't get that under the changes being proposed. And I think there's a strong call on the government to think again. Uh, let's have a bit of compassion in this whole process, rather than just saying this has been a, a mechanical thing. I think most members of the public agree.
0: There, there will be some people, though, Tony, who will say, well, hang on a second, why, why should I pay that woman 1,200 quid? Well, I mean,
19: I'm sure there might be some people who do say that, mm. but I, th- I think perhaps those people also might just want to reflect that if it's one of their family members, they might have a very different view of all that. Most of us, fortunately, don't uh, suffer criminal injuries. But my my, uh, my, my shopkeeper example mm. uh, wasn't, you know, she, she was just going to work. Yeah. She, she wasn't kind of going out of her way to do something dangerous. She was opening up um, something that served the, the other members of the public um, and, you know, had every reasonable entitlement i think she goes to work unattacked, um, um, uh, w- without fear so i think most of us accept that criminal injuries um, the co- and the compensation for it ought to be sort of a bit like a, a collective insurance policy a bit like the nhs mm. you know we, we we can use it when we need it hopefully none of you listeners will ever need it but hopefully when they do need it it'll be there for them
0: the government is obviously cutting costs Everywhere they can. How much? Mo- if th- these changes go through, how much money will they save? Do well, we know?
19: Yeah, if, if, a, if a certain amount of money, then like all things, because you know when you have a national scheme, it's it, it's big sums. Um, but the, what the, the the government are. Um, are, are trying to do is is, is cut out a, a few millions of pounds.
0: Go on, give us the figure. Go on. Well, I won't the, judge you, Tony.
19: No, no. the, the, average, <laughs> the average The average cost of this game over the years has been round about one hundred and ninety million pounds. Right. Um, so even if the government cut out half of that, it's you know, it, it's a it's a it's a little over one pound fifty a year for per ahead of population i think most of us don't begrudge paying our one pound 50.
0: it it doesn't do the the, the conservative party their image of being the nasty party it it doesn't do them much good in that respect does it
19: (laughs) well look i'm a labor mp so you wouldn't really expect me to jump up and down and say what nice it was a nice government this is but but uh, in fairness let me let me say this Mm. that whilst the government are wrong on this when this came before parliament about four or five weeks ago Um, people from across the Labour MPs and Conservative MPs um, were up in arms about it and and forced the Minister to to, to take it back at that stage. The fear is that they they took it back but they're going to sneak it back under the the gatepost uh, and nobody's
0: looking. Tony, listen, we should be following this debate um, with keen interest. Tony Lloyd, Labour MP, uh, he's got a debate this afternoon um, in Westminster on the victims and criminal justice system. Um, there, and there are some people who will think, well, hang on a minute, that is a lot of money. We could save... Why should we be paying out for people who are attacked in shops or, or going to work or things like that? But then you do have to think. It's a good way he put it. It's an insurance policy for all of us that we can dip into if we need it. Interesting. 08459 double five five double five. Now, I went to the pictures yesterday and I had some nachos with cheese. I had the melted cheese, so that's healthy. Cheese, is, I think, is a vegetable. It certainly counts as one of your five a day Uh, and a packet of Revels. It cost me nearly eight quid. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. It's expensive. MPs are calling for a cut in the price of sweets, drinks and ice cream at the movies. The Respect MP, George Galloway, and the former Conservative Minister, Sir Peter Bottomley, say they deplore the profiteering by cinema chains, which they accuse of exploiting their customers. They've signed a Commons motion motion urging them to reduce the prices in line with those in shops and restaurants. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter, Justin Dealy has been out to see what you think.
10: Now, Sean, you went to the cinema last night. What did you go and watch? Uh, taken to... Any good? Liam Neeson is a very crazy guy, here. Yeah. 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 he's all right. You see, taking one was good, but I'm thinking, why taking two? It can't happen again, can it? I'd agree with you on that, but I don't know. It was all right. Yeah. It was good, yeah. yeah. Now, in terms of prices at the cinema, the tickets are obviously quite expensive, but the food is, is extortionate, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm a sucker for nachos, so, uh, yeah, it's a bit extortionate, but I'm willing to pay it. I have a loyalty card with uh, Odeon, so, yeah. So you've got this sussed. Even though the prices are high, you get points and effectively you then get money off when you do buy the expensive chocolate and the expensive yeah. popcorn. Well, you build up your points. For example, last night we didn't have to pay for a thing because we had binned a certain amount of times to, to gain those points. So. Okay, so take the points out of the equation. If that system didn't exist, will it put you off going to the cinema? Yeah, 100%. It's a bit too expensive. Near enough £10 a ticket, £10 for food. Claire, you last went to the cinema two months ago and you were confronted with very high prices for for the food there. What's your views on that?
13: I just think it's not an enjoyable evening anymore. Um, It's double the cost, so we end up not bothering going at all. Mm -hmm.
10: So the MPs have got it right then. They're saying it should be reduced. If they were to reduce it, that will get you back into the cinema.
13: I would have thought so, yeah. yeah, definitely. What
10: about smuggling your own stuff in?
13: Yeah, more often than not,
10: <laughs> all what, the time. But I suppose your attitude would be, why should I do that? I'm paying to watch the film, all I'm asking for is the same prices that I would get in the local supermarket, probably across the road.
13: Too right, because, like you say, you are going to get people just taking their own stuff in anyway, so mm. why not just be able to capture the market? Um, you've got people there anyway, so if, if it is cheaper, people will pay less.
10: Do you work in marketing, by any chance? No, I no. don't. <laughs> you should do. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks. That Liam Neeson, he's a crazy guy. <laughs> (laughs) I love that
0: guy. Can we get that guy as our film reviewer? What did you make of Taken 2? Uh, Liam Neeson. He's a crazy guy. (laughs) I agree with Justin. I can't see the point of Taken 2. I enjoyed Taken 1, but Taken 2... But hey, that Liam Neeson, he's a crazy guy. (laughs) New car- Sorry, I, I was saying to Jonathan, you know you've been in a job too long when you're singing harmonies to the jingles, and I, I, I'm constantly doing that. New car park charging technology has been rolled out across the three counties. You don't need money or mobile phones, you simply drive in, a photo of your car is taken, and if you've registered, the charges can be debited automatically from your account. Convenient, or is it just another way to monitor our movements? We sent our reporter Victoria Cook to Welling Garden City to try out the new swish park technology.
13: Okay, I'm here at the Osborne Way Car Park. This is the car park for the station. It says here Hunters Bridge Car Park. This car park is managed using automatic number plate recognition cameras. Okay, let's go in. Well, it says this car park has no barriers and requires no ticket. Just remember vehicle registration and pay at the pay machine before returning to car. Right, it's time for me to pay now. So it's coming up to 10 to 3. I will try and find the picture of my car. Start. It says enter the last three characters of your car number plate. So that is H-H-Z okay and there is a picture of the BBC car entering the car park so I shall press the picture of the car one power fifty confirm and I will be paying with my bank card confirm and that's it complete
19: that's okay
6: that's
13: the one. £3.50. So how do you find this system? As long as we can
6: remember our registration. Yeah. It's all it's, right. it's OK, actually. It's just better than getting the ticket and then losing it or sticking it in. Yeah, I like it.
13: How do you feel about the, um, the car park having a picture of your car and, and sort of having that information about you on, on their systems?
6: Yeah, I've got no issue with that, really. You know, I'm not a criminal, so I'm not worried. They can have what information they want on me.
10: I don't find it too bad, but then I well, think people that do find it struggle can be here for ages, and you can see them then getting quite concerned about the people behind. It's get yeah, a bit annoying, really.
13: How do you feel about the machine and the company keeping pictures of your car on file and keeping your information?
10: Oh, to be fair, I'm not overly bothered because it's, it's everywhere anyway. There's so many cameras about. They, you know, who doesn't have your information at times? Is it just so another I'm not, I'm, camera? I'm, yeah. Yeah, I you get so used thought to I have about it. Yeah, it hasn't really even thought
13: occurred about it, to me
0: yeah. that yeah. it's even kept. I hate having to... when you have to queue up and pay in the car park, you forget it, you get in the car, oh, you get to the barrier, I forgot to pay, you've got, I think it sounds fantastic. Um, I um, am using a lady's deodorant today, because it's all I could get, and I'm sweating a bit, and now I smell like a really nice girl. <laughs> I do! I, I'm sniffing going, hmm, there's a nice girl in here. No, there's not! It's me! I'm going to be wearing ladies' deodorant from now on. Uh, we were talking about Gary McKinnon and the decision by Theresa May not to extradite him. And in St Albans has emailed him. I'm one of those pleased at Theresa May's decision. It's not the whole answer to inequalities in the America-UK extradition arrangements, but I hope these will now be addressed seriously. Um, I have little doubt that due to military sensitivities... The, oh, here, we get into conspiracy theories. The Americans would want this to be in secret, whereas we want it in an open court. Also... The amount of security needed to protect American witnesses, i.e. targets, from America's many enemies around the world would be immense and at the British taxpayers', exp- taxpayers expense to boot. Uh, and thank you very much indeed. Now, as you know, dear listener, if you listen regularly, I'm not a football fan, but I wish I'd watched the football last night, the grown-up one, because it didn't happen. And I, 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 turned on my, I had a little nose in the afternoon, in the evening, turned on my phone, and Twitter was ablaze with people talking about what a farce it was. England's World Cup qualifier in Poland washed out after heavy rain, and an open roof, they had a roof, led to a waterlogged pitch. Well, it's been rescheduled for four o'clock this afternoon. Mark Knapper from the England Supporters Club is from Hertfordshire. Mark, you were there last night, were you? I was, I was, very wet. Are, are you are you back in England now, or are you still out there for no. the- No,
20: I've managed to book another flight for tomorrow so I can stay for the match today. Unfortunately, my flight tomorrow goes back to Stansted, my car's at Heathrow, so uh, (laughs) I'll I'll have to sort that out when I get
0: back. You really are dedicated. (laughs) Did did, did you notice if there was an increase in the price or anything? Because we heard from from one correspondent saying that some of the airlines had had, uh, cashed in on this and put the prices up a bit.
20: Well, I'm not sure, but um, uh, we got... ours. I phoned a mate at home and asked him to book a flight for us. Quickly, in summer time, running on the mobile in pouring rain. Yes, um, and I know the price doubled within about twenty minutes after we'd already booked our tickets. Oh, lucky uh, you!
0: What What happened yeah. last night, Mark?
20: It, it was a joke. I mean, it had been raining all day. It, it, um, it started raining by I don't know, sort of two o'clock, and it was predicted to be torrential rain. Right. Um, so, and it, it was getting worse and worse and worse um, and then within about two hours of the match when everybody was walking to the ground so about 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock um, UK time it was just ridiculous I'm not, all my clothes are still absolutely soaking wet wow. um, um, and so we got there we just couldn't believe they hadn't closed the roof so you got there and, and, and ca-
0: you, you, you assumed the, the roof would be closed and you, you, you get into yeah. the stadium and see it's, it's wide open
20: yeah and they made no announcement at all the only, the only way we got any information was by phoning friends at home um, and asking them what was happening. So... They didn't uh, say any, yeah,
0: Sorry, you know I'm, 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 I'm confused. They didn't say anything in the stadium. You had to phone up someone in England... But, yeah. ...who told you what was going yeah. on.
20: So they had... They had um, one screen. They said that... They did say the match was going to be delayed. And then another hour later, they said there would be an announcement at 9.45 or 8.45 English time. Yeah. But, but nothing else. You just saw people coming out onto the pitch, throwing a ball on it. There was no way they could <laughs> play the match anyway. <laughs> um... And, and, and then we found out um, from um, people at home that um, they can't close the roof anyway because it's too dangerous. It had so much lying water on it. Oh, no. uh, so the whole thing was just a farce. Um, and it, it was just ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, pandemonium getting out of the ground. This is suddenly letting 60-odd thousand people out all at once in driving rain. And they weren't geared up for you know, public transport taxes or anything.
0: And I guess 60,000 people who perhaps weren't in the best of moods as well. No. <laughs> and very wet and very
20: cold. Um, We've been soaking wet for like three hours. And I mean, it was almost like, you know, jumping into a river or something. I've yeah. never been so wet in all my life. But, but, I, um, I just but there to me, we what,
0: are. Why do, and have you heard any reasons to why they decided not to close the roof, I don't know, at two o'clock when it started to rain a bit? No. There's been no explanation. No, I, mean, I, was on,
20: I was looking on websites today. Um, and all I can see is that the Polish FA didn't want to. Why on earth they didn't want to, I don't know. Um, and the whole thing is is just ridiculous. I mean, uh, I'm not, I came out here on Monday and I looked on Sunday Mm. and the weather for, for Tuesday night was predicted as torrential rain. Yeah. So it didn't creep up on anybody. No. Have you spoken, so to, have you spoken to any
0: other fans? Are, are, are the majority of them staying there? Or um, I, I guess a lot of people have had to come home because they can't afford to stay there.
20: Yeah, it's a bit half and half. I mean, obviously you get a lot of fans that come out for the day. There's about 600 of those, I believe, mm. come out for the day. So they would have missed everything because they went home last night. Um, um, about half the fans I know are staying. And, of course, some people weren't due to go back till Thursday anyway. Right, okay. Um... But, yeah, you're right, and there's a lot of people who either can't afford it or work. Or the worst thing, uh, which we've got, is, um, there's no rooms in our hotel. Oh. So I've got to try
0: and find somewhere to stay now. you got nowhere to stay? Yeah, I've got nowhere to stay, no. Mark, you, you, you <laughs> fool. Did, was there any word about if the people th- who w- went last night and can't go again, will they get their tickets refunded? Has that been addressed?
20: Um, I believe so. Right. I, I believe so. I, I was talking to, um, Kevin Miles, who's actually like, in charge of the England fan club, um, last night, um, and he seemed to indicate that there may be some refund But only maybe right, okay. um, there, you know, there, There's no decision on that um, But yeah, I mean it, it is It is pandemonium The nice thing is it's a nice sunny day here today I,
0: I was going to say, what's the, the weather's alright, is it? Is the match going to go <laughs> yeah, ahead I'm, today?
20: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my bedroom window Before we chucked out of the hotel And it's, it's nice and blue sky There oh, we there are, it's go. not too bad
0: And uh, Listen, I don't know anything about football England v Poland, Who's, are England going to win? Yeah, I mean,
20: Poland are a good team. I mean, they're not a great team, but um, they they will be difficult at home. Of course, the the one um, the one funny thing is that they they would normally have very passionate fans. But I presume a lot of those fans are going to be at work today. Yeah. So. <laughs> you don't
0: know how busy the stadium's going be. So it could be quite a bit. Mark, listen, thank you so much. Uh, no uh, enjoy no the rest of the day. I hope you find somewhere to sleep. <coughs> yep, fingers oh. crossed, Mark. <laughs> <Okay. And there's laughs> <laughs> Sorry to laugh at your illness, but is, is that cough the result of the, the wet weather?
20: Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, 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 I, feel, I'm, I feel not good, let's put it like that. Go on, <laughs> listen,
0: it's, it, it, it's, it's nearly 10 o'clock over there, you're allowed to go and have a, a little shot of whiskey or something to make you feel better. Mark Napper, who is uh, from the England Supporters Club, uh, from Hertfordshire, and he was out there last night. He's there today. He hasn't got anywhere to stay. I can't, I can think of better places to be homeless for the night than Poland... To be honest. I mean, it's going to struggle. And bless him, he sounds, he sounds terrible. That little cough at the end gave it all away. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. I wish I'd, I'd bothered to turn on the TV and have a little look. Apparently, Adrian Childs, who, th- th- for, for some reason, a lot of people hate Adrian Childs. I don't know why. He's quite personable, was he? I think a lot of people hate him when he left The One Show. And he kind of took that, that big money deal of ITV, which ne- never quite works out, worked out. I've met Adrian Charles, he's very, very pleasant to me, a very, very decent man. But apparently he was being hilarious last night with, uh, you know, his, his kind of dour outlook on life. Um, but yes, I, I missed it, and in, in many ways it's the, the one football match perhaps I wish I'd made an attempt uh, to watch. Uh, by the way, if you missed a call earlier on, we had a call from uh, Vera, who was a, a silver poet. She won, she won a poetry competition. She didn't. She came second... But she was, uh, how can I describe her without being rude? A character, yes, that's what she was. A character was wonderful and a cracking good sport. If you miss that, I thoroughly recommend uh, that you go to the Facebook page. Go, go to Facebook, find BBC Three Counties Radio, uh, and we will put that phone call up as an audio boo. The highlight of the show for me. Listen to Jonathan Vernon Smith because he's going to. You know that recording of Justin Lee Collins. He'll play you it. Terrible, terrible use of the English language. Beds, hearts, and bugs talking.
3: This is BBC Three Counties.
8: Thank
13: you, Ian.